summer travel season is in full swing, which means hotel, Airbnb, and Verbo reservations are picking up. And along with that, for some guests, there's concern, to paraphrase that old song, that somebody's watching them. Over the past few years, we've seen reports of Airbnb and Verbo landlords posting private photos and information and unscrupulous hotel employees selling streams of what happens in hotel rooms. And we definitely don't want that, my goodness. But there are ways for travelers to protect themselves. And we're joined now by Thorin Klozowski, Privacy and Security Editor at Wirecutter. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. So first, and we should be clear that the people who do this, whether it's at Airbnb or a hotel, they are going against policy, right? Correct. Yeah. Airbnb like specifically states that uh, hosts need to disclose any cameras on the property and those cameras should not be in any private areas like a bathroom or a bedroom. And hotels obviously have the same sorts of policies. Yep. So let's start with you're going into a home, a, a Verbo, an Airbnb situation. How do you know where there may be recording devices? The first thing that I would personally do is grab a flashlight, go to the kind of private areas that I would not expect a camera to be, and flash that around to see if I see a reflection of what a camera lens would look like, which is kind of a blue reflection. You can also turn off all of the lights, and you will see an IR signal. It's kind of like a red dot that glows. Uh And if that's recording like a night vision, you would also see that. And are are there apps out there now that are intended to help people find these hidden cameras? There are, and I don't love them. I actually okay. find the, the flashlight to be easier and a little bit better at finding things. Um, a lot of the apps kind of have their own bad behaviors of often requiring a subscription fee or something like that that kind of feels a little icky. But they also, like, if you use them to scan for, say, a camera, it will kind of pick up any reflection. So glass or a camera would kind of show up the same thing. And then you end up just kind of walking close to it and inspecting it anyway. Have you ever found like a camera or anything where you were staying? No, I haven't. Um, I have done the scans before. And funnily enough, one of the reasons I don't trust the apps is because it wasn't even picking up the ring camera, which was clearly on the door. <laughs> and it can it can be useful, to be clear, but it also tends to be a little bit more technical, a little bit more complicated. You might not really know what you're looking at, and you might either be scared for nothing or be totally missing something important. So in addition to like the flashlight, is there anything else that you can do? Yeah, I think you can cover things up that maybe do look a little weird or you're unsure about. You can unplug the Wi-Fi router. And if you do so, it might alert the host. And you can also just kind of unplug anything that looks kind of fishy, whether that's an alarm clock or just a USB plug that seems random in the wall. And I mean, so how worried should guests be about this? Like, you know, like, is this a really big issue? I haven't been able to find like a really great list of just how many times these get reported. And Airbnb does have policies in place and they get picked up on the news enough that clearly they've instituted rules. But I don't know how often they, you know, get reported. Mm, So renter beware. (laughs) That's Thorin Klozowski, Privacy and Security Editor at Wirecutter. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. When you don't vote to keep-
can't sit on a jury. You have no right to complain about the police because you won't even go and vote so you can even sit on a jury. Uh, as I've told, uh, said to the cows when I first started to call in, I spent 11 years on a job where, where I worked for a bank and had to sit in court day after day, day after day after day. And I watched them select juries. I watched black people going to jail. Black people have white having white probation officers. And the whole judicial system um, just truncated with white supremacy. And a great deal of it is could have been, some of it could be lessened if black people simply voted. Some of the most dramatic testimony of Tuesday's hearing of the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol came from Shea Moss, a former Georgia state election worker who describes threats against her mother and grandmother during questioning by California Congressmember Adam Schiff. She was joined by her mother, Ruby Freeman, who testified earlier to the committee. Her comments featured during the questioning. This is Schiff and Shea Moss. How did you become aware, how did you first become aware that Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, was accusing you and your mother of a crime? I was at work, like always, um, and the former chief, Mr. Jones, asked me to come to his office. And um, when I went to his office, the former director, Mr. Barron, was in there, and they showed me a video on their computer. Um, it was just like a very short clip of us working at State Farm, and it had someone on the video like talking um, over the video, just saying that we were doing things that we weren't supposed to do, just lying um, throughout the video. And that's when I first found out about it. And were there social media posts uh, that they showed you responding to those false claims? Well, um, when, when I saw the video, of course, the first thing that I said was like, why? What, why, is, why are they doing this? What's going on? And um, they, you know, just told me that Trump and his allies were not satisfied with the outcome of the election, and they, they were getting a lot of threats and um, being harassed online and asked me, you know, have I been receiving anything and I need to check on my mom? And I told them, um, I, you know, I was like, where, where have they, you know, where have you been getting these threats? I, I don't believe I have any. And um, Mr. Jones told me, like, they're attacking his uh, Facebook, and I don't really use Facebook. I have one, so I went to the Facebook app, and I'm just kind of panicky at this point because this has never happened to me, and my mom is involved, and I'm like her only child. So I'm just asking him, like, well, where are the messages? All I see is the feeds. Like, how do you get to the messages? And he said, it's another icon on your phone that says Messenger. And I went to that icon, and 
it was just a lot of horrible things there. And those horrible things, did they include threats? Yes, uh, a lot of threats, um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that, you know, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. That's, yeah. Were, were a lot of these threats and, and vile comments racist in nature? A lot of them were racist. A lot of them were just hateful. Um, but yes, sir. In one of the videos we just watched, Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, what was your mom actually handing you on that video? A ginger mint. It wasn't just Rudy Giuliani. We heard President Trump make these false allegations repeatedly during his call with Secretary Raffensperger. Let's listen to a portion of what he had to say about you and your mother. We had uh, at least 18,000 that's on tape. We had them counted very painstakingly. 18,000 voters uh, having to do with uh, Ruby Friedman. That's, uh, she's a vote scammer, a professional vote scammer and hustler. Donald Trump attacked you and your mother using her name 18 times on that call. 18 times. Ms. Moss, can you describe uh, what you experienced listening to former President Trump attack you and your mother in a call with the Georgia Secretary of State? I felt horrible. I felt like it was all my fault. Like, if I would have never decided to be an elections worker, like, I could have done anything else, but that's what I decided to do. And now people are lying and spreading rumors and lies and attacking my mom, my only child, going to my grandmother's house, her only grandchild, and, and my kid. It's just, um, I felt so bad. I, I just felt bad for my mom and I felt horrible for picking this job and being the one that always wants to help and always there and never missing not one election. I just felt like it was, it was my fault for putting my family in this situation. Well, it, it wasn't your fault. Uh, your mother was kind enough to come speak with us earlier. Let's listen to her story and her words. My name is Ruby Freeman. I've always believed that when God says that he'll make your name great, but this is not the way it was supposed to be. I could have never imagined the events that followed the presidential election 2020. For my entire professional life, I was Lady Ruby. My community in Georgia, where I was born and lived my whole life, knew me as Lady Ruby. I built my own business around that name, La Ruby's Unique Treasures, a pop-up shop catering to ladies with unique fashions. I wore a shirt that proudly proclaimed that I was, and I am, Lady Ruby. Actually, I had that shirt on. I had that shirt in every color. I wore that shirt on election day 2020.
I haven't worn it since, and I'll never wear it again. <laughs> now I won't even introduce myself by my name anymore. I get nervous when I bump into someone I know in the grocery store who says my name. I'm worried about who's listening. I get nervous when I have to give my name for food orders. I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. Ms. Moss, how has this experience of being targeted by the former president and his allies affected your life? This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. I've gained about 60 pounds. I just don't do nothing anymore. I don't want to go anywhere. I second guess everything that I do. Um, it's affecting my life in a, in a major way. In every way. All because of lies. For me doing my job. Same thing I've been doing forever. Your mother also told this uh, committee about how she had to leave her own home for her safety and go into hiding after the FBI told her that it would not be safe for her there before January 6th and until the inauguration. Let's listen to a clip of her story in her own words. Around the week of January 6th, the FBI informed me that I needed to leave my home for safety. Um, and I left my home for safety around that time. Understood. How, how long did you stay out? Did you, you know, remain outside of your home for your own safety? I, I stayed away from my home for approximately two months. It was horrible. I felt homeless. I felt, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe this person has caused this much damage to me and my family um, to have to leave my home that I've lived there for 21 years. And, you know, I'm having to have my neighbors watch out for me, you know, um, and I have to go and stay with somebody. It was hard, it was horrible. And that, um, your conversation with the FBI about needing to leave your home for your, your own safety or perhaps recommending it, um, if you remember, was there a specific threat that prompted that, or was it the accumulation of, of threats that you had received? What prompted it was um, was getting ready to 
January 6th was about to come and they did not want me to be at home because of all the threats and everything that I had gotten. They didn't want me to be there in fear of, you know, the people would come into my home and I had a lot of that. So they didn't want me to be there. Just in case something happened, I asked, how long am I gonna have to be at home? They said, at least until the inauguration. Ms. Moss, I understand that people once um, showed up at your grandmother's house. Uh, tell us about that experience. Um, I received a call from my grandmother. This woman is my everything. I've never even heard her or seen her cry ever in my life. And um, she called me screaming at the top of her lungs like, Shay, Shay, oh my God, Shay, just freaking me out, saying that um, there were people at her home and they, um, you know, they knocked on the door and of course she opened it and seeing who was there, who it was, and they just started pushing their way through, claiming that they were coming in to make a citizen's arrest. They needed to find me and my mom. They knew we were there. Um, and she was just like, screaming and, and didn't know what to do. And I wasn't there. So, you know, I just felt so helpless and so horrible for her. And she um, was just screaming. I told her to close the door. Don't open the door for, for anyone. And, um, no, she's a 70-something, I won't say, year old woman, and she she doesn't like having restrictions. She wants to answer the door. She likes to get her steps in, walking around the neighborhood, and I had to tell her, like, you can't do that. You, you have to be safe. Um, you know, she would tell me that at night, um, people would just continuously send pizzas over and over to her home, um, you know, and they were expecting her to pay for these large amounts of pizzas, and, and she went through a lot that she didn't um, have to, and once again, it, it made me just feel so horrible. In addition to the personal impact this experience has had on you and your family, one of the things that I find most disturbing is how these lies discourage longtime election workers from continuing to do this important work. Tell us, if you would, of the other election workers shown in that State Farm Arena video and their supervisors, how many are still election workers in Fulton County? Um, there is no permanent election worker or supervisor in that video that's still there. And did you end up leaving your, leaving your position as well? Yes, I, I left. Ms. Moss, I want to thank you for coming in to speak with us and to thank you for your service uh, to our democracy. What we have just played is a truly horrible and appalling sample, but just a sample of the things that were said about you and your mother following the election. I want to say how very sorry I think we all are for what you've gone through, and tragically, you're not alone. Other election workers around the country have also been the subject of lies and threats. No election worker should be subject to such heinous treatment just for doing their job. With your permission, I would like to give your mother the last word. 
Yes. We're just going to play the tape. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. Do you know how it feels to have the President of the United States to target you? The President of the United States is supposed to represent every American, not to target one, but he targeted me, Lady Ruby, a small business owner, a mother, a proud American citizen who stand up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic. Deposition video of Ruby Freeman, mother of Shea Moss, both former Georgia state election workers, whose testimony was heard Tuesday by the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Ruby was sitting behind her daughter during Shea's testimony. Black brother. Black brother of hell. A new Pew Research study finds that immigrants now account for about one in ten black persons in the United States. That 10 percent figure is up from 3 percent in 1980, and it's projected to increase more over the next 40 years. My first reaction was pretty underwhelming because I have found that, well, this is a growing phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. Belinda Deneen Wallace is an English professor at the University of New Mexico. She specializes in Afro-Caribbean and Afro-diaspora studies. We spoke to her about how the growing presence of foreign-born Black people might change our understanding of Black America. There has always already been a Black diasporic component to American Blackness. I think the visibility has shifted, um, the way in which we see non-traditionally hyphenated African-American Blacks in this country. But the presence has definitely always been here. Are you seeing these demographic changes beginning to be reflected in public spaces, like representation in film or in positions of power? Uh, absolutely. I, I think our vice president is probably the most prominent um, representation of that. Vice President Kamala Harris, who is from Afro-Indo-Caribbean heritage, right? Absolutely. Um, and also in pop culture, we definitely see it in film. Um, I think Nollywood out of Nigeria has definitely made its way across the pond. Mm -hmm. um, we also see it with something like Issa Rae, um, who is African-American and Senegalese. And her show, um, Insecure, had a diasporic feel to it. So, yes, I, I, I would say it is becoming more visible to those of us here in the States. We're in Black History Month now, and as someone who knows a lot about the African diaspora, how would you like to see historical narratives change in the U.S. to reflect the growing population? I think the first thing we need to do is embrace this as a part of our history, a part of not just Black history, but global Black history. So you can start as early as Marcus Garvey and his Pan-African movement. We like to focus on the Black Star Line and the whole return to Africa aspect, but we ignore his diasporic approach to black identity, belonging, and culture. It was very global. Hmm. We conveniently forget that Malcolm X's mother was Grenadian, right? He's of Caribbean origins. But also what I appreciate is that the specificity doesn't get lost, right? So if we look at, like, soul food, no one is arguing that soul food isn't an African-American Southern tradition. It absolutely is. But we also understand that much of that cuisine is influenced and shaped by 
African culture that was transmitted here because of the transatlantic slave trade. And so I think we're in a unique position to blur the lines without erasing. And that's really hard to do. And it's exciting that we're in a place now where we can have these kind of nuanced conversations. The data show that black immigrants are more likely to have a college degree and are likely to earn more than black people born in the U.S. What do you make of of that distinction in the findings? Well, I think we have to look at structural racism in the way in which it operates here in the United States. We also have to look at the history. We've been talking a bit about belonging. And for African-Americans, there has been a sense of unbelonging here in the United States. Non-black people are in, in the United States are often more comfortable dealing with international blacks because it doesn't carry the same historical weight. Some may call it baggage. But I do worry that we take this information and we use it as a kind of divisive shaming rod to say, oh, well, if black from the Caribbean can have this level of success, clearly African-Americans can too. Or if immigrants are succeeding in this particular way, clearly African-Americans can too, without looking at the specificity of our experiences here in the United States. So it's helpful, but it can be wielded in a way that I think can be dangerous. Belinda Deneen Wallace from the University of New Mexico, thank you. Thank you for having me. White supremacy is the sickness. Life expectancy in the U.S. has always been different for white people and black people. And since the start of the pandemic, that difference has widened. Linda Villarosa is familiar with these disparities. She's a journalist who covers race and health, and she's also had her own experiences dealing with racism in healthcare. When she visited her father in the hospital while he was sick with colon cancer, Villarosa says she was shocked at what she found. He was shackled basically to the bed. He had restraints. And I said, Mom, what is going on? And she said, your father is really sick and they're treating him like, and she said the N-word. NPR's Karen Grigsby-Bates from our Code Switch podcast talked to Villarosa about how COVID exposed racial disparities in all aspects of the healthcare system. I heard half a dozen stories of people who died because they went to the ER and they said, I can't breathe. I'm not feeling well. I, you know, I'm wondering if I have it. And they were sent back home, basically. And then they ended up dead. Is that still happening? Yes, I think it's still happening. I think because we brought some awareness, it's better. But the basic underlying problem hasn't been solved. I am brought to the case of Dr. Susan Moore, who was a physician in Indiana. She went to the hospital with COVID. She is a doctor. So the very system that she was educated in, that she worked in, didn't help her and in fact may have harmed her. So she said, I have COVID. And she said, I'm in a lot of pain. And um, she was treated as though she was drug seeking when she asked for pain relief. I was crushed. He made me feel like I was a drug addict. And he knew I was a physician. And what really struck me is throughout that recording, her refrain was, this is how Black people get killed. This is how Black people get killed. So she left the hospital and she died. We've been told that before vaccines, COVID recovery was determined largely by a number of factors that are described as comorbidities. In the beginning, doctors were saying, well, why aren't you taking better care of yourself? I'm wondering if there's been some nuance now applied to thinking about that. I think that right now there is more of a textured understanding, but I think still the basic problems 
is to me threefold. One is the problem of the healthcare system itself. Even though there's plenty of resources, there's not enough empathy and there's discrimination baked into it. The second thing is we live in segregated communities. We live in places that were harmed a century ago, partly through redlining, partly through um, contract buying in Chicago, where my mother was from, and nobody could really own a home. So these communities are ones that aren't that healthful. In other words, the air might be dirty because they are near a polluting facility. The other thing is the idea of weathering. So weathering is the idea that fighting against discrimination day in, day out ages you prematurely. Each time an incident happens, it fires up the systems of your body, including your blood pressure, your cortisol, um, your stress hormones, and even your pulse rate. So if that happens over and over and over, as it does in the case of people who are Black in this country, it weathers the body the way a storm might weather a home, knocks the shutters off, chips the paint. Mm. If we are weathered, which is a kind of premature aging, then it's not a shock why we would have worse COVID outcomes at younger ages. Another place we see racial disparities is in maternal and infant mortality rates. You actually followed a Black woman, Simone Landrum, into the delivery room in New Orleans, and you describe, beyond the numbers, an issue with how she was treated. Can you tell us about that? One of the things that struck both the doula, Latona Giwa, and I at the beginning was they interviewed her multiple times, and they said, how many children do you have? And she said, I have two children, and then I lost a baby last year. And then they said, oh, how? when, when was the demise? And they kept calling the baby she lost the demise. And that baby was a little girl who she named Harmony. And um, when she died, Simone herself almost died. And the labor wasn't going great. Her, The current baby was at risk. If you know that someone has been traumatized the year before and things aren't going great right now, you should not be calling the baby the demise. She was treated badly, so badly, in front of me and in front of the doula. The three of us were the only Black people in the room in New Orleans. And I saw them, you know, not listening to her, arguing with her, but also treating her very unkindly, given that their job is to care for her. Wow. Are there Big studies that pop into your mind immediately when I ask about studies that indicate that bias is a problem? So they looked at amputations for diabetes. Even when everything was equal, Black people were still more likely to get a foot amputated. And so I don't think individual doctors go in being racist. However, somebody made a decision to too often cut off the foot of a Black person. And that was the one that really hit me. I just kept picturing that, picturing someone made that decision. COVID shone a pretty glaring spotlight on the just radical inequities along racial lines that exist still in this country. Is there any hope that that illumination has maybe been the starting point for starting to correct some of those inequities? I think there has been movement. I did a lot of interviewing of medical students, and many of them in this generation were 
politicized by Black Lives Matter when they were in undergraduate college. So then they went to medical school and they brought that same kind of activism and that spirit with them. And it's very exciting to see groups of um, medical students pushing back against parts of their education that they say, well, this is old. I don't want to be a doctor like this. I want to confront my biases and not enter the field with them. So, you know, there, there are bits of hope, but I think we have to just keep this issue on the forefront and not shy away from it. That was Linda Villarosa, author of Under the Skin, The Hidden Toll of Racism in American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation. A terrible thing to waste. Environmental racism and its assault on the American mind. Written by Harriet A. Washington. They're called forever chemicals because they break down extremely slowly. And because they've been put in so many things, they are now everywhere. In soil, in our drinking water, inside our bodies. We're talking about PFAS. The Environmental Protection Agency just revised its guidance about PFAS in drinking water. The agency is warning they could pose health risks if present at all. Well, let's bring in Arlene Bloom to discuss. She's a biophysical chemist and the executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute. Welcome. Delighted to be here. All right. So I'm trying to wrap my head around this. In a few sentences, give us the primer on what exactly PFAS are. Well, PFAS are a class of thousands of chemicals, and I like to say they're both the best and the worst. They're the best in that they're very useful at keeping things dry, keeping grease out of things, they're slippery, keeping things moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're the worst because, as you said, they never break down, and all the ones that have been studied have been found to be harmful. I mentioned that they're in soil, they're in water. They're also in things, you said they're slippery, they're in things like nonstick pans, things like rain jackets. What else? We were scientists who have studied PFAS. We tested cosmetics and found them in about half the cosmetics we tested. Things like waterproof mascara, shiny lip gloss, shiny foundation. They used to be used in carpets for stain resistance, but the carpet industry has moved away from them, which is great. That was the biggest source of exposure for kids in the past. They're used in the outdoor industry a lot, so they can be very useful. But the good news is they're usually not necessary, and there usually are safer alternatives. The EPA, as we mentioned, is warning that they pose health risks. It sounds like just about all of us would have been exposed to them. What kind of health risks are we talking? So we do all have some PFAS in our body, unfortunately. And across the whole population, they increase the risk of certain kinds of cancer, some infertility. They can contribute to obesity, kidney disease. There's a whole wide range of health effects. They can adversely affect almost all of our organs. But that doesn't mean that everyone's going to get these effects. This is just across the population. It's the range of things that could happen. So in terms of the way forward here, as you see it, the way forward is to keep them out of products going forward. So there's a role here for the government. There's also a huge role, it would seem, for the private sector. Absolutely. And indeed, the carpet industry, for example, decided ahead of regulation to find better alternatives for carpets. Um, The outdoor industry is on the path towards that. Uh, Food packaging, there have been a number of announcements that big fast food companies are no longer having PFAS in their packaging. The cosmetics companies are moving away from it. So this is something where 
manufacturers can move faster than the government, but the possibility of government regulation definitely moves them forward. And it looks like there's legislation all over the United States and the various states proposing regulation on PFAS in food packaging and cosmetics, in textiles, in, in a wide range of products. I'm thinking I put on lipstick this morning. I had a nonstick pan sitting on my stove as I walked out. I mean, what can each of us do personally? What should we be thinking about doing to keep these things out of us, out of our lives? Well, in terms of nonstick pans, the PFAS is used to make the nonstick pan, but the pan itself probably isn't going to be a problem. So, and it's the same with Gore-Tex. PFAS is used to make Gore-Tex to make outdoor jackets. But when you're wearing it, it shouldn't be a health problem. However, the manufacturing of your Teflon pan and the Gore-Tex jacket is a big problem. So I like to tell people, you can wear your jacket, you can use your pan, but don't buy another one. That is Arlene Bloom, biophysical chemist and executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute. Thank you. Thank you. Billy Holiday, I sing your blues. Bet your life against me, and I swear to God you lose it. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. The Environmental Protection Agency outlawed new lead pipes in 1986. More than 30 years later, the Biden administration will spend billions removing the pipes. Missouri is expected to get $250 million, Iowa $225 million, Kansas $164 million, and Nebraska $142 million. The problem is some water utilities don't know where they all are, and the Midwest has a lot of them. The Missouri Independent's Allison Kite reports for the Midwest Newsroom. In 2017, Trenton, Missouri officials were faced with a crisis. Lead had been seeping undetected into the residents' drinking water from their service lines, or pipes, for three years. Ron Erton is the city administrator and oversees Trenton's municipal water utility. It was kind of a, um, you know, a surprise for us because we, we, everything was going good. Um, hadn't had any, you know, when we'd taken our lead test previously, everything had been fine. Lab results showed Trenton's water exceeded federal standards for lead, putting the city's children at risk for lead poisoning. The culprit? A chemical switch Trenton's municipal water utility made back in 2014. It added monochloramine to disinfect its water, replacing chlorine, which has some harmful byproducts. But monochloramine can corrode lead pipes, releasing the toxic metal into residents' water. That changed the water chemistry enough it started to pull that lead out of the lines. Nobody told us that. That surge in contamination posed a public health concern. Lead is a neurotoxin that affects thousands of kids each year in the Midwest. It can cause ADHD and a loss of IQ points. Eric Olson is a senior strategic director for the Natural Resources Defense Council. Unfortunately, it's a lot like drinking your water from a lead straw because these pipes, they're about the thickness of a garden hose. Um, and they snake through your front yard. And if it's made out of lead, um, some of that lead is going to get into your drinking water. It's inevitable. Like many water utilities, Trenton doesn't know where all of its lead service lines are. The EPA outlawed new lead service lines in 1986, but except in rare cases, it did not require utilities to remove old ones or even track where they were. State governments have little information on where lead pipes remain. 
Limited surveys required under a 2018 law count 194,000 service lines, either made of or including lead, in Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska, and Missouri. But a study drawing from two American Water Works Association surveys estimates more like 747,000 pipes. The NRDC says those four states have some of the most lead service lines per capita. Well, I think a lot of people are flabbergasted that no one's even bothered to try to figure out how many lead service lines there are in their community. The EPA has never required a full inventory of lead service lines until now, according to Jeff Pinson with the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Initial inventories are due in late 2024. Once we start doing this for at least, you know, maybe six to eight years, we'll have a lot better idea of, uh, you know, the, the amount of lead services that we do have in Missouri. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden's administration wants to remove the lead lines within the decade. States are waiting for guidance from the EPA on how utilities should conduct their inventories, which may include scouring old records, surveying homeowners, and as a last resort, digging up the pipes to check. Back in Trenton, City Administrator Ron Erton says the city will start by checking its old handwritten books and work orders for information on which houses may have lead pipes. He says the city never considered trying to locate them voluntarily before the EPA mandate. We have so much water main work we need to do we can't afford already that going and doing something extra wasn't even on the radar. After the city discovered its lead problem, it added corrosion controls in late 2018 and lead levels in the water came back down. For the Midwest Newsroom, I'm Allison Kite with the Missouri Independent. A former senior member of the United Nations is calling for an external panel to investigate allegations of sexual abuse, fraud and high-level corruption at the organisation. This comes after several former members of staff have told the BBC stories about cover-ups, harassment and bullying when they've complained about alleged wrongdoing. Some have lost their jobs after speaking out. Seema Katacha from the BBC Newsnight programme reports. Until 2020, Perna Sen was in charge of tackling sexual harassment at the UN. She has now told Newsnight an urgent investigation into corruption and sexual harassment at the organisation must take place involving impartial, independent parties. This follows several alarming stories from whistleblowers, including allegations that a senior staff member forced himself on women, something he vehemently denies. There are reports of corruption and management turning a blind eye when told about alleged wrongdoing. Senior staff at the UN have diplomatic immunity from national laws and all complaints are handled internally. The UN told us the Secretary-General Antonio Guterres had consistently emphasised a zero-tolerance approach to sexual harassment and abuse and was committed to protecting bona fide whistleblowers against retaliation. It also said it was open to any external review of its efforts to combat misconduct of any kind. That report by Seema Katacha. Well, guys, uh, 36-year-old Richard Cox was arrested on Sunday night at just after 8 o'clock. He had a bottle of alcohol. He was found to have a gun on him. And the fact that he's a convicted felon, that's not 
permitted. So he was arrested, put in a cruiser, then transported to a uh, transport van, if you will, that transports prisoners from certain sites, mostly substations, to the lockup here at the New Haven Police Department. And that's where things got very dicey. You'll hear first from the mayor and then from the acting chief, Regina Rush Kittle. From what I saw in multiple videos, there was no malice uh, intent by the officers, but uh, there uh, were some decisions made that I think uh, uh, could have been much better in caring for an individual that was saying that he was injured. For now, the New Haven Police Department's internal affairs investigation will halt and then resume following the conclusion of the Connecticut State Police investigation. Now, we got uh, an update today on the condition of Mr. Cox, who you see there in body camera footage, being arrested. Um, he, they, were, they feared there would be some paralysis in yesterday's update, and today they say nothing changed with his condition. So as of right now, they're fearing still paralysis. The family had a chance to look at the footage you are seeing at home, and there's a whole bunch more footage that my colleague Alicia Machado will have tonight on the Fox 61 News at 10 and 11. You can, you can actually see when uh, Mr. Cox sitting in the back of the transport van that didn't have seat belts, rams his head into the van door, and then he yells that he can't move. Uh, very disturbing to see. You heard what the mayor had to say. You'll hear from the assistant police chief, uh, Carl Jacobson, I'm sure, tonight at 10 and 11. But again, his condition is unchanged, and right now, state police have assumed the investigation the New Haven State's Attorney, State Police, and the Office of the Inspector General all consulting today, and it was determined State Police will take over the investigation. We're live here at New Haven Police Department. I'm Tony Terzi, Fox 61 News. So talk to me about this ruling from the Supreme Court, the impact of it. How momentous is it? Well, I think it continues a trend that started in 2008 with the Supreme Court recognizing gun rights, the rights guaranteed in the Second Amendment as a personal right, not a right connected to a well-regulated militia, as the first clause in the amendment states. Um, that's a revolutionary decision in itself in 2008. And today's decision is just a furtherance of that. And it uh, will be used in the future to knock down gun control laws across the United States. So in essence, it's saying that this doesn't really have a bearing on the Second Amendment? What it says is if the, there are two parts to the Second Amendment, which reads a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That first clause, a well-regulated militia, is now, and it has been since Heller was decided in 2008, largely perfunctory, not even uh, read into the Constitution. Now the entire emphasis is on the second half of the amendment, and that right is a personal right, 
meaning that individuals cannot be restricted in their ability to protect themselves using a firearm. So reasonably, I could bring my firearm into work? Right. And so here comes the question. Like, I teach at a university that is a gun-free zone. Well, those limitations where an individual is not allowed to bring a gun to our campus, will those be upheld? I have not had a chance to read all 135 pages of this ruling, but I have a feeling those type of limitations, limitations on place, and limitations on which individuals are allowed to have a firearm are going to be under challenge in the future. I know you just said you haven't read all 135 pages of the ruling, but is there anything else that stands out to you? A couple points. One, this is another indication, and you're going to see another series of cases released tomorrow, and as one of our cases released Tuesday. The country is divide is growing and continues to grow between red states and blue states. And we see that on the Supreme Court. If you look at the difference between the majority opinion in this case, written by conservative Clarence Thomas, and the dissenting opinion written by the soon-to-be-retired liberal justice Stephen Breyer, they are talking past each other. They're not even discussing really the same constitutional principles as each other. And that's an indication of our politics right now in the United States. And for the Supreme Court in specific, And for our country in general, that's a very, very bad thing. Anything else overall? Let me just say one more thing is why why do we have so many important cases before the Supreme Court? And that's the result that we have a dysfunctional federal government. We have a federal government right now, at least since the last decade, that can't solve problems. We either have the Republicans or the Democrats denying either side any chance to pass legislation. And the way our system is set up, by the Founding Fathers is it's designed to force compromise. And if compromise doesn't occur, the government can't act. So these types of issues, gun issues, uh, religious rights issues, get forced into the courts, and then the courts, which is becoming more political, has to decide these issues, and that is clearly against the design of the Founding Fathers. So what's the solution to this? If I knew that answer, I would be writing books right now and be appearing on <laughs> national television. We're making it happen now. We've got the spirit, a lot of spirit, yeah. We've got the spirit, just watch it happen now. As President Biden spoke inside Buffalo's Delavan Grider Community Center last month to honor the victims of the top shooting, dozens gathered on the sidewalk across the street. One of them was Pete Harding. In 2020, the Cheektowaga man could be found getting into shouting matches with Black Lives Matter protesters or leading COVID lockdown demonstrations. Then images surfaced of him entering the Capitol building on January 6th and attempting to set ablaze media equipment. Here was his Facebook Live the day afterward. If we can take the Capitol building, There is nothing we can't accomplish. His charges are still pending. Outside Biden's speech, Harding was holding a large white flag with a red cross in a blue square. The Christian flag dates back to the early 20th century. But Heidi Jones, a Buffalo attorney researching the far right, says the flag now often symbolizes Christian nationalism. That the only only people who count are Christian, white Christians. 
Harding's attorney, Jason DePasquale, says the flag was only meant to show solidarity with the Topps victims. He says Harding got it from his pastor, although he declined to identify the church. Jones says the Christian flag is one example of how local far-right extremism gets disguised as Christianity and patriotism, especially by anti-government groups, characterized by the Southern Poverty Law Center as hard-right and believing that an illegitimate government of leftists are trying to bring about a new world order. It's time to learn about everything that's going on in your community according to the Constitution. Now, Coalition Radio. One of Western New York's five anti-government groups is the Constitutional Coalition of New York State, which holds a weekly radio show on WEBR. They've held anti-mask protests and recently supported school board candidates who oppose vaccine mandates and critical race theory. This is Nancy Orticelli. Nancy Orticelli of West Seneca is the coalition's president. She denies their far-right label, saying they advocate for every legal American citizen, regardless of race, and that their members aren't just conservatives. Probably the only group of people that we do not have in our organization are uh, socialists because they don't like us. Orticelli says she contemplated not doing a show the Monday after the shooting after receiving online criticism accusing her and the coalition of using dangerous rhetoric. Standing up for the rights and freedoms for all. And now I want every people group to be removed except the white people. I, I don't know where that came from and how that's being attributed to me. The coalition's first show after the shooting denounced racism and violence, but also accused Democrats of pandering to people of color, making racism seem worse than it really is, and even wanting to legalize abortions up until one month after a child is born, a false right-wing conspiracy theory. And and people think that there's nothing wrong with that, and we are absolutely becoming like the, you know, back in the day during the um, the Aztecs and the Incas when they used to sacrifice people, yeah. and people just think this is normal. Normal. We asked Orticelli if she believes in another conspiracy theory. The replacement theory, espoused by the alleged Topps gunman, says Democrats are systematically replacing white voters with people of color. So no, I don't believe in the replacement theory at all. Um, I don't know. I know what it's saying is it's saying to, to remove white people. I don't think... I don't think I don't I would at least I hope that's not what they're doing, but I have no tangible proof as to any of that, so I don't ascribe to that ideology. I do think there's a lot of pandering, but no, I don't believe in that. Jones calls the Constitutional Coalition a gateway to more extremist thinking. You start showing up at, at Constitutional Coalition events that, that gets you introduced to uh, Watchmen. The New York Watchmen have provided security at events for the coalition and other related groups. Started in response to 2020 racial justice protests, they're considered an anti-government militia by Southern Poverty Law and have had affiliations with the Proud Boys, a hate group whose leaders have been charged with sedition for January 6th. <laughs> Uniformed watchmen clashed with counter-demonstrators at Niagara Square in December 2020, something founder Charles Pauline talked about at length in his Watchmen podcast. He got his head cracked. Antifa left their blood on the sidewalk that afternoon. Got a little bump on the noggin. Yep, and, and you know, now they're going to think twice. I mean, they better think twice. And while the watchmen claim they didn't start the fight, they did celebrate the violence after the fact. He wasn't a watchman. He's from a, another patriotic group that we will not identify. But he was the one who put that boot to the to the Antifa on the ground. Not saying that I feel bad for him at all, but. Hmm. 
Yeah, but um, had that been a watchman, we'd probably had a talk with him, right, Brett? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. Okay. <laughs> In a Facebook post, Pauline, a former police officer, reacted to the top shooting by saying, quoting now, black neighborhood, white suspect in custody, buckle your chin straps. Pauline didn't respond to an interview request, but in another Facebook post about extremism allegations against him, says he's, in his words, nothing more than a harmless patriot. Orticelli's husband, Nicholas, has been photographed wearing a New York Watchman uniform, but she denies that he's a member. Wearing what they had with their merch, I guess, didn't mean you were a member. Other local anti-government groups include the Marching Patriots, whose members were in D.C. on January 6th. Harding was wearing a Marching Patriots hoodie when he entered the Capitol. While there's plenty of overlap between local far-right groups, they don't necessarily all get along. Orticelli says there's no love lost between her and Harding. After January 6th, her coalition put out a statement that he was no longer welcome. Other groups went even further, saying none of their members could associate with him at all. It did kind of cause a little bit of a division with some patriots. And Orticelli says, although Harding may have good intentions, she doesn't agree with his decision to visit the neighborhood surrounding Tops. Sometimes you need to just let people grieve and heal. And if you know that your presence is going to cause any kind of friction or any kind of um, upsetting people going through something so horrible, I think that you should have the sensitivity to just stay away for a little bit. Tom Dinky, WBFO News. Uh, Congolese have been massacred by white people in the Congo for years and years and years. And if uh, the shoe is now on the other foot, uh, only thing I can say is it's like chickens that always come back home to roost. Do you personally feel, though, that there's some shame or uh, involvement here or some guilt associated with the killing of other human beings? I think that the white people should be ashamed of the deplorable situation that has been existing in the Congo which is not the fault of the Congolese, but which is the result of instigation by European powers who are fighting each other over the mineral wealth of the Congo. And now to make it appear that the Congolese themselves are criminals or brutes because they're reacting to these uh, uh, injustices that they've been victimized by is, is again ducking the question. A tooth returns to the Democratic Republic of Congo this week, bringing some closure to a gruesome chapter of European colonialism. Before we explain the significance of this tooth, we want to warn you the tale includes violence and murder. This small bit of bone and its shining golden crown are all that remain of Congo's first democratically elected prime minister, Patrice Lumumba. He took office when Congo became independent from Belgium in 1960. But just a few months later, he was taken hostage, tortured, and executed, his body dissolved in acid. A Belgian police officer took the remaining tooth as a memento back to his country. In a ceremony today, Belgium's prime minister returned the tooth to Lumumba's family. George Onzongola Antalaja is a Congolese historian who participated in the independence movement led by Lumumba. He also serves as Congo's representative to the UN. And he says Lumumba still holds deep importance for Congolese people today. Patrice Lumumba was a charismatic leader and a person who could really mobilize people to fight for independence. He created the first all-Congolese political party and was a person who was very much committed to improving the livelihood of Congolese people. 
We celebrate January 17th is Lumumba Day, so he's very well known. What was it like for you to fight for independence as part of his movement in the late 1950s? Well, I was a young boy in high school, and we were all very, very excited by uh, the struggle for independence. And to hear leaders like Lumumba, who were really speaking what most people thought about and who were not shy to say the truth in terms of the colonial oppression we went through. So it was a wonderful event. Let's listen to some of what his daughter, Juliana, said at today's ceremony in Belgium. Père. She's saying, Father, how did you die? We don't know. When did you die? We don't know. Where were you assassinated? We don't know that either. And so tell us what we do know about why Lumumba was assassinated. Because the West did not like him. President Eisenhower of the United States gave order to the CIA to assassinate him at the meeting of the National Security Council on August 18, 1960, by the simple expression, can't we get rid of that guy? But Allen Dulles, the CIA, both understood exactly what the president meant. What was their fundamental objection to him? Basically, was a nationalist who wanted to use Congolese resources for the well-being and development of Congolese people. As opposed to for the exploitation and use of the West. Exactly. Belgium's colonization of Congo was brutal, and a parliamentary inquiry found the Belgian government was morally responsible for the assassination of Lumumba. The Belgian prime minister and royal family have expressed regret but stopped short of a full apology. What do you make of that? Well, I would personally, I'm not speaking for the government, speaking for myself, I would prefer that the Belgian government owes up to its political responsibility in the killing of Lumumba. He was sent to Lubumbashi by the government in Kinshasa on the request of the Belgians, and he was killed by a Belgian assassination squad. So Belgium has a responsibility in the killing of Lumumba and they ought to owe up to that responsibility. Now, I said that the return of his tooth to DRC brings some closure to this chapter of history. How much closure is it, really? For the family, it's one thing that they have a place where they can go. Also, for the Congolese people, we have a mausoleum where this tooth is going to be laid to rest. And this would be a very, very good thing in terms of having a place of remembrance a place where Congolese can go and honor Lumumba. That's historian and Congolese representative to the UN, Georges Nzongola Ntalaja. Thank you for speaking with us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. See, we're getting ready to be put in a real trap with this legalization of marijuana. So everybody, every black person can be unemployed and then they can sit in their corner and get high on marijuana with whatever they decide to put in it. And people won't be asking for jobs, being determined that they're going to get jobs and going to get an education. No, everybody can start getting high on marijuana because somebody said it's medicinal and it's legal. What about so we better beware. What about the people who say the legalization of marijuana is fighting against racism because you have so many black people who are unjustly 
incarcerated as a result of racist enforcement of these drug laws. So this would be a good thing, and it would keep black people out of greater confinement. No, we can we can do it by stop using and selling drugs to one another. See, if I'm not using drugs, then I can't be incarcerated for drugs. And I see so many males, young males in my practice who would become psychotic. Almost never to return to normal from marijuana use because you don't know what's in it. You don't know how it's been genetically altered. Again, everything has to be put in the context of a power dynamic system of racism and white supremacy. That's one thing the president spoke of, looking at behavior in context. Now, whether he actually meant context, as I said, I say the context is a system of racism, white supremacy. That's the only way we're going to understand any aspect of our behavior, the power context in which the behavior occurs. Mm. Just for our listeners, because I think that's real important, uh, I had only heard a few people who were saying, who had suspicion about this sudden push to legalize marijuana and saying, I don't think that this is being done with the best intentions for black people. Uh, you're, are you saying that you you think that this could be something to further erode black people's will and ability to replace white supremacy with justice? So we're just all... Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. California is considering new regulations for a recreational marijuana industry that now includes more than 1,500 retailers. The idea is to put health warnings on cannabis products like the labels on cigarettes, and some will address the mental health risks from smoking pot. April Domboski of member station KQED reports. For a lot of grandparents, your first grandchild holds a special spot in your heart. For Elizabeth Kirkeldy, that is Corey. He was the sweetest little kid in the world. I had a very close relationship with him. Corey was top of his class in high school and a talented jazz bassist. By the time he graduated, he was a serious pot smoker, too. And for Corey, pot didn't just make him paranoid. It also made him psychotic. He started hearing voices. They were going to kill him, and there were people coming to eat his brain. I mean, weird, weird stuff. After high school, Corey came to live with his grandmother for a couple of years, here at her home in Napa, California. She thought maybe she could help. Now she says that was naive. I woke up one morning and no Corey anywhere. Well, it turns out he'd been running down Villa Lane here totally naked. Corey was diagnosed with schizophrenia. His grandmother blames the pot. The drug use activated the psychosis is what I, I really think. It's what many psychiatrists think, too. Studies show people who use cannabis are four times more likely to develop schizophrenia. For people who smoke every day or use high-potency products, the risk is six times higher. Yale psychiatrist Deepak Cyril D'Souza says there are things states can do to reduce the harms. Such as have limits on the amount of THC in products that are sold, have clear labeling about that so that people who buy it know what they're getting into. That's exactly what California wants to do. 
a proposed law would require pot businesses to include warnings about mental health risks in their advertising and on product labels. They'd have to be set against a bright yellow background, use black font, and take up a third of the front of the package. Opponents say this is excessive and expensive. Lindsay Robinson runs the California Cannabis Industry Association, which represents legal pot businesses. The heart of the issue is that there's a massive unregulated market in the state. Legal dispensaries turned over $1.3 billion in state tax revenue last year. On top of that, Robinson says they're struggling to keep up with existing regulations. And adding more requirements just makes it more likely that they'll go out of business. The only real option if they fail out of the legal system is to shut their businesses altogether or to operate underground. Some people, even parents like Elizabeth Kirkledy, are skeptical the labels will work. Her grandson, Corey, is stable now, living with his dad. But she's not sure a yellow warning would have stopped him when he was a teen. They're just not going to pay attention. But I do, I mean, I, if it helps even one person, great. Doctors like Cyril D'Souza are optimistic. Regulation worked for cigarettes. Smoking among kids has plummeted in the last decade. He credits warning labels, education campaigns, and marketing restrictions. And he says applying the same health strategies to cannabis is long overdue. For NPR News, I'm April Domboski in San Francisco. Woo, context of white supremacy. I was reminiscing. I will tell you what I was reminiscing about as I was getting ready to rock and roll. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another program, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, June 25, 2022. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call in dial in. If you have questions, suggestions, counter racist suggestions, problems, really, to share thoughts on the news clips, the number to dial 720 716 7300, the code 564 943 pound. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Today is another one I could absolutely vomit it is a disgrace having to be here for counter racist broadcasting it is 81 degrees in Seattle today that is 27 Celsius warmest calendar day of 2022 finally we actually got summer weather in Seattle glorious day and now the June that I love, even though it's gone now, hopefully we'll make up for that in July, what have you. But when this program ends for me at nine and the sun is still bright, Seattle summertime, disgrace to be here for counter racist broadcasting. So the number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943. Pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Invest if you think the program is constructive. Uh, hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com.
PayPal button is in the top right corner. Beneath the PayPal button, you'll see the link for PayPal, a link for Venmo, a link for Cash App. The address address for Cash App is cash.app forward slash dollar sign the cows. Enormous gratitude to all the listeners uh, who have invested kept the cows on the air for 13 plus years uh, hope the program has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy you can also invest sharing links to the program if you think it would help some non-white people get a better understanding of what white supremacy racism is and how it works what it means to be white uh, you can also visit the wish list share links to the program visit the wish list nab an item the wish list is under Gus T Renegade at Amazon.com also linked at the blog again tremendous appreciation to all of the investors who have nabbed uh, an item or two uh, over the 13 years 81 degrees now I did have to do work prepping for today's program prepping for Monday's program and other broadcasts and what have you even within all of that managed to get my hammock get to the beach magnificent day most of them have been even when it was lame and 59 degrees it was still pretty nice to be at the beach but now that it is beach weather got my hammock from my wish list much obliged again thanks to all the folks who have nabbed items now since I already said it, get this in too. Say it a few times before we go. We should be here on Monday. It is white guests only. No exceptions. But I said I found a black male who wrote a book about the Buffalo killings in 1981. Not the most recent tops. Tops the first time around. 1980 killings. Well, it did go to 1981. Joseph G. Christopher, Frank E. Dobson, doctor. Uh, he wrote a fictional book about these killings called Rendered Invisible. Now, by the time I found this book, we were firmly entrenched. White guests only. No exceptions. I didn't email Dr. Dobson about being a guest. I just emailed him like, oh, man, we're doing research on this. And blah, blah, blah. I saw you wrote this book. And you're actually born in Buffalo. And blah, blah, blah. And wrote me back immediately and shared a lot of the thoughts that I had like yep disgrace they should have been talking about this how does it happen that you get a black male Glenn Dunn all these killings from 1980 start at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store and none of this is mentioned this time around when it happens again he absolutely agreed and sent me a book for free a signed book no less and other information so at that point I was like well dang I started reading the book. He mentioned Rick James, who I didn't even know was born in Buffalo. Said, well, at least we'll chat it up. See if we can get some more information. I'm sure we could learn some things about Buffalo and what have you. Although, I remember Danielle King. I remember our many other non-white guests who have come on the program and their conduct, even non-white callers, really. And I said, man, I don't know. I even thought for a minute, like, Maybe I should just email him and tell him, you know, Gusty is widely thought of as a coon. We have a white guest only policy. If you want to listen to 20 of our programs or a few and change your mind, that is all right. And I still might do that between now and Monday.
Hopefully we'll have a constructive exchange. We'll be able to learn some things about Buffalo and ha- what have you. No name calling and all the rest of it. Uh, but man, I am never, I am never, I am never thinking, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to meet a black brother or a black sister. and It's going to be awesome. Oh, man. Remember when Dr. Moore came on? He said, you know, you got some of them black brothers. You just want to punch in the nose. That's what I'm generally thinking. I'm like, oh, man. Hope we can get through this without being threatened, name called, interrupted. Woo. Mm-mm-mm. It is white guests only for many, many, many reasons. Dr. Dobson, hopefully we can do Dr. Dobson Monday peacefully. It'll be great. Learn a lot. Move on. And then we have no other non white people scheduled forever white guests only now what I was reminiscing oh I forgot it's Monday 8pm Eastern 5pm Pacific yes Monday 27th of June rendered invisible let's go Buffalo now what I was reminiscing about that segment at the end I think Irie has been on a few times Irie in Louisiana she talked about uh, her son difficulty with cannabis them legalizing cannabis everywhere they've given so many reports talking about it's got all these medicinal properties and will help you concentrate and get rid of the gout take away your hunger pangs and help you lose weight and all this other rubbish claims uh, that they got for what cannabis will do way back in 2013 matter of fact Gus T's memory is not that bad so way down July 2013 and I can get real specific so Trayvon Martin murder trial happens we were live on the air the verdict comes out of course nobody's going to be convicted for killing that nigra child stealing skittles and everything else so literally seven days from the verdict in the Trayvon Martin trial Dr. Francis Cresswellson comes on the cows. I think it's her 13th visit. You can check my memory on that one, too. Now, the cannabis consumption came up in the Trayvon Martin trial as well, but who cares because nobody was going to be convicted for anything with regards to that, cannabis or no. Dr. Wellson comes on the program. We talk about the trial, racism, Cody Stanton, uh, Cody Ingham, sorry, black male who was surprisingly found hanging from a tree during the same month as the Trayvon Martin murder trial. I think that's a cowbell too. All that's in the archive with Dr. Welsing, episode 13. But once you get through all of that, about the two hour mark in that program, that's where you heard Dr. Welsing come on and say, hey, Neely Fuller's 10 stops and no name calling and blah, 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 and all that other stuff. She said, I added on a few of my own. No throwing down trash where black people live. Sweep up, clean up, yum, yum, yum. All that's great, okay. No doing drugs. She says they're about to do a job on black people and yum, yum. I said, well, wait a minute. They got all these black people in greater confinement. They've locked up so many of us. They said, yo, you got possession. You got an ounce. You got whatever you got on you, a dime bag. Oh, that's going to be 50 years and all that. Wouldn't it be better to get rid of these racist drug laws? And she said, no. This is nonsense. She said third generation physician general and child psychiatrist which is well, Mr. check her resume Dr. Welsing said man I seen patients they come in here and psychotic didn't even recover from cannabis use said, wow that's amazing gotta think about that hmm. 
literally listeners called in not the day when Dr. Welsing was with us but subsequently that same week afterwards oh man buddy <laughs> sometimes I think people when they call in here you realize this is being recorded right we're going to have to stand all of us Gus T we all we're going to have to stand on this one like forever unless this audio gets lost or what have you nobody else heard it no other car we, we're going to have to stand on this one for a while right Okay, we're going to have to stand by our record, stand by our work, and stand by what we said. Ooh, July 2013 is there. The volume, because it wasn't one person. This wasn't three people. This was like a whole lot of folks dialed in. Dr. Wells, I don't know what she's talking about. What does she mean, cannabis, Mickey psychosis? I done went and aced all my exams and smoked a blunt and felt fantastic and went and aced my interview and what is she talking about? Have you psychosis? And I've never heard Dr. Wilson get on here and talk such nonsense. Where did she get this from? Who does she think she is? Third generation. Man. Oh, I'm not even saying anything. I'm just going to play it. Check out some of those reports that they have in California where cannabis is legal just like a whole west coast Oregon, Washington State, Hawaii, all of that but check out some of those reports talking about oh the impact all of this is having on the children which some of that is exactly verbatim what Dr. Welsing said 10 years ago what sort of impact does this have on all of young people their brain computer isn't even finished developing yet and now I've got something that might have me being psychotic that is particularly if we get the guest white of course but doctor who has been saying yes I've seen the same thing this does seem to correlate with some people with psychosis and they should have labels on it and what does that moron say sobriety would be best oh I cannot wait to flashback because people put their chest out my god I don't even hear that for people who maybe we got newer listeners if you're a little bit younger and you didn't get to talk to Dr. Welsing and all of that I mean nobody called in on the cows and be like oh it's great to hear you the grandsons of Dr. Welsing and blah 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 blah. I just want to say you don't know what you're talking about that didn't happen but one time we are going to go back and revisit that one time very soon Oh, I cannot wait, especially because I think some of you all are still here as listeners. So let's see if people have any reconsiderations after 10 years. So excited. Let's see some of the other reports and then we'll get to the folks who dialed in. Uh, They mentioned the report on the poll workers being terrorized in Fulton County, Georgia. Fulton County's Atlanta. Um, Shea Moss, uh, her mother, uh, Leah Friedman, Ruby Friedman, excuse me. Uh, one, we I think we did have some listeners who said that they were not sure how what happened on January 6th of last year is being presented as an act of white supremacy racism. I have seen many pieces of evidence that would be another if anyone is confused as to what exactly 
would qualify the January 6th insurrection as an incident of white supremacy racism. That would be one component. There are many others. They terrorized uh, Representative Jim Clyburn, South Carolina, uh, amongst others. But few, I mean, there are many, many others. But those are just two short ones that I can give. 70-year-old black female. I'm working for so-called democracy. Yeah, they threw that in there. Our democracy, our system of white supremacy in Fulton County, Georgia. And they're going to go and terrorize her and run in the house, ordering pizzas and all that. All of that is terrorism. And a 70-year-old, she could have had a heart attack or anything, been stunned, a panic attack, having all this. For Donald Trump, are you serious? Of course, yes. Racism, white supremacy. Of course you're serious. Um, the, let's see, I will share on three others and then we'll try to get to the folks. Uh, let's see the, the portion about COVID-19, uh, they spoke with a victim of white supremacy, that right there, another illustration right there, white guests only. They spoke with Linda Villarosa, uh, her new book on racism and health. She is a victim of white supremacy. I'm pretty sure she is way more informed about health and probably everything else. Way more informed than Gus T. Renegade. That said, in that report talking about racism and COVID-19, and I mean, they had horrendous stories at the beginning. Black people going to the hospital and being treated rudely and I'm in pain. I can't breathe. I think I have COVID. Ah, shut up. Ah, go home. Sending people home to die and what have you. All of that. Super important, particularly all that rubbish and racism about Nurse Rivers. That's why I said, oh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about nauseous. I don't want to ever hear her name again. Uh, that is not Nurse Rivers. When you have a race soldier black patient comes in I'm sick I'm coughing I can't breathe I need help ah you're fine get out of here or crackhead hear what she said you are in here trying to steal medication I know exactly what you niggers do get on out of here ah, ah. not to mention now that's white people that's how we got in all this to begin with not niggers going selling crack trying to be pookie from New Jack City no 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 we got into this because of white people Brett Favre put a real person on it we got in this because of white people going and oh sure take a whole barrel of painkillers it's no problem that's how we got into this opioid predicament unless I've been misinformed not black people coming and getting bucket loads of any kind of medication and painkiller that they want that's not what we have here in fact in that report where they were talking about health COVID-19 all that Linda Villarosa they mentioned even some of the other information about the amputations we already talked about that on the can in fact we talked about that on the cows way longer long enough ago that I should have forgotten it we talked about that 2009 August Dorothy Roberts a listener dialed in the first time she was a guest on the program and asked about amputations now dig this my memory is not suffering today at all 80 degree weather Woo! so Dorothy Roberts has been a guest on the cows not once not twice thrice by the third time that she came back on the program in 2011 she said dang 
I followed up on the research from the first time I was here. Do you know? Black people lead in amputations. All of that when the NPR segment with Linda Villarosa when she said physicians don't go into the operating room or to the hospital to practice racism. Full stop right there. You're not nobody really. It's 2022. No one is going to look me in the face and tell me you come in asking I'm in pain. I think I have the Rona. I need help. It's a these crack peddling niggers are coming in here to get all our pain medications I know what you're up to that right there is not unconscious bias I was confused I didn't know I need training sensitivity where Tim was that is white supremacy racism that's what it means to be white and I mean really I'm not interested in talking to any non-white people because we've been here for 13 and a half years do you know how much work we've done it do you do you know how much work I have done in that time Dr. John Hoberman, he's also been a guest on our program a number of times. He wrote the book Black and Blue. That's the exact thesis of that book that everybody starts with exactly what she said. These doctors don't go in here to be racist. Wrong. That's the thesis of his book. Like, wait a minute. We really could start this with J. Marion Sims and be like, wrong. But let's stop. Let's forget about J. Marion Sims. Let's just look at the people who are doctors. One, the fact that they don't tend to allow Negroes to be physicians, especially black males. Now, that's one. Unless everybody thinks that that's just accidental and I don't know how that happens. Oh, we just don't have any Negroes here. And we've never had any Negroes here that we allow as doctors. And the deliberate effort to close black medical schools. They have whole documentaries about this. That's not ignorant. That's not unintentional. Then when they get to all the rest of it, weathering, I even know the white person who came up with that term, uh, Arlene Geronimus, and I invited her to be a guest on the cows as well. That sort of tacky nonsense. They have all kinds of cheap, lame terms to talk about this. John Henryism, that's one that we got way back from 2009 uh, on the program to talk about racism, white supremacy, eroding the health and killing black people. We're not talking about snow, sleet, rain, desert heat. That's what it sounds like to me when you're talking about weathering, not terrorism. You come to the hospital for labor. You come to the hospital because you've got the Rona. You come to the hospital for any reason. You need assistance. That's what you go to the hospital for, right? And it's, but no, 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 not what can we do to help you, but, uh-oh. Got the Negras here. Uh-oh. Make sure they aren't stealing all the toilet paper. Where's security at? Uh oh. Or we're not even going to help you. Get on out of here. Beat it. Send them home to die. Beat it. Ah. And there was a lot of that during COVID 19. And then the, get to the end of that same report. Victim of white supremacy, Linda Villarosa, she says, hey, I talked to students now. Now, she didn't specify. That's the other thing. I didn't know if she was talking about non-white students who are active. They've been out protesting and activists and all the rest of it. And so now they're in med school. And she said they don't want to take their bias. Right there. That right there. It was many portions that I could point out. But I mean, that would be another one. White guests only. I'm not interested in talking to a non-white person where I have to think that. Do you really believe you're that confused? You think 
these white students, I don't care if they're 19, 20, 25, 30, whatever. That's around Peyton Gendron's age, right? Dylan Roof's age, right? Whatever they've said to you. I've been out protesting. I've been arrested three times. I was in Minnesota. Made the trip over to Wisconsin. I'm down for the cause. Uh-huh. If you really wanted to, like, things have changed, like, Show me that we've got a massive increase in the number of enrolled black students that are pre-med. Then, I, oh man, wow, things are about to change. But you telling me that some white people are looking at their so-called bias. Another book I'm not going to read, White Guests only nothing about that sounds like medical apartheid Harriet A. Washington which gives a much better explanation for why all of this has been happening for centuries top 10 no less dying while black for Nelia Randall another book we've had guests on the program many times actually let's see alright so that was the health one if anyone does read her book and it turns out that Gus was wrong she has great information that is more accurate about white supremacy racism then feel free to share she used the word community there too you don't have communities if you get warehoused to reside in an area where they don't have hospitals you have to beg for a hospital you got all the toxins and pollutions that you want that's not a community group of unhealthy people Let's see. The segment on Patrice Lumumba uh, and the Congo global system of white supremacy racism. It is summertime. Now, they had the segment talking about black people. A growing number of people classified as black will be born outside of the U.S. I'm sure the ADOS people and other folks will be upset about that. I don't care. Racists will probably use that to generate more conflict, but none of that is getting at the problem, the system of white supremacy. Now, people want to take that and grouse because, oh, some of these black people that were born elsewhere, they come over here and they get all ahead. While the black people that were born here, Clarence Thomas and all, they just mess over the black people here and treat them like nothing. Negros. Hmm. Okay. Well. Let's take someone like, uh, what's his name? Patrick Lyoya. Let's take a fellow like that. Not born here. He's got all kinds of black male privilege. <laughs> but if people saw that, you have students, young people, you have children maybe. They're on summer break, vacation. They're looking to do the same thing Gus is. Hey, get me a hammock, go out to the beach. Great. Let's make sure that we do some reading. Maybe I have a young son, teenage daughter, 17 years old in high school. They know about Patrick Lyle. Maybe they were even upset about all that, you know, did some posting or protesting, talking about it like, man, I can't believe this. Came all the way from the Congo and everything like that. Hmm. What do you know about that area of the world? If they're not very well informed, hey, what did that idiot Gus say? Let's hit the university library. Do you know who Patrice Lumumba is? Because they probably won't, unless you're in like a big city, um, New York, Chicago, something like that. They, I suspect you will be much less likely to find literature on Patrice Lumumba and the Congo, per se, at your local uh, library. But the university, even the community college library, 
Oh, yeah, I guarantee you. Even if it's not, you know, University of Illinois or University of Miami, some of the bigger institutions. Oh, yeah, they will have books on Patrice Lumumba. Guaranteed. That would be one. You can go get a book. I was trying to see, could I recommend a book? I don't know. I was trying to think of books for younger people. I was thinking of books off the top of my head. King Leopold's Ghost, that's a good one. But I'm not sure if that's a book for a 16 or 17 year old. I would have to look if it was just for younger listeners to make sure it's read appropriate. But if it's anybody, yes, get King Leopold's Ghost and blah, 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 some other ones. Um, that would be good titles to, to read about. Um, even though that's more the history of the Congo, uh, Patrice Lumumba is mentioned. They have other better books that will kind of fast forward you to the 1960s specifically uh, and give you lots of specific detail on Patrice Lumumba. But people should ask. I mean, Minister Malcolm X talked about Patrice Lumumba all the time. They had riots uh, here uh, at the UN in New York, New York again. Uh, they had riots there uh, when people learned that he had been assassinated and the U.S.'s role in that. I think Minister Malcolm uh, was even involved uh, in some of the uh, frustration. I don't say rioting, but I mean, I think he was there <laughs> with some of the protests uh, that went on uh, about all of that in the early 1960s. Uh, that was hugely important event. And I mean, wow, how many times does one need to mention Delectable Negro. If you did not read that book with us in the archives and we read it, listened to it, all that, if you've not read it yet, that should be on your summer reading list immediately. They didn't just say first prime minister of the Congo. They didn't just say, oh, we shot him and killed him. I mean, that's easy to do, right? No, 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 no. We tortured him killed him dissolved his body in a barrel of acid that's breaking bad right and then we couldn't even let them there and then the only thing left a tooth I got to take that back with me home get me old ornament who makes ornaments out of niggers teeth who does that oh now I want you to think anybody out there we might have some people who are really well organized maybe you went to a Montessori school I'm told if you folks who attend Montessori is like they're really well organized you can kind of see that pattern in their life you know not just throwing stuff around willy nilly great I want you to think how many of you all you can put your hand up to your mouth you can see how how large your tooth is how many of you all think you could successfully file away a tooth for 60 years I mean is this mounted on my wall I got my old lounge room relatives come over we talk about the good old days colonial times on the continent and I mean King Leopold's ghost oh man now what group of people would enjoy 
having a tooth on display for 60 years. If you read King Leopold's Ghost, you see, whoa, get all this rubber in the Congo. I think that's one of their big crops, rubber, firestone and all that. Man, you are chopping off black people's hands and feet and taking pictures of them like, oh, my God. I think in that book, it's estimated that they probably killed about 10 million black people in very short time in the Congo way before they got to. Oh, yes. Kill that nigga Patrice Lumumba and take his tooth with me back home. Global. That's not weathering. That's not bias. That's not bigotry. Global system of white supremacy racism. Call it terrorism. That's what it is. Every time. Peyton Gendron, Patrice Lumumba. Call it what it is. If you're not well informed about uh, what happened in the Congo, as most people are not, great time to research. University Library. And for this one, super easy. You can just do Patrice Lumumba. Now, unfortunately, they do have movies and documentaries on this too but as we've seen you know nothing compares to the book do some reading Mr. Lumumba and I mean now really after 60 years we're going to give you a tooth back probably with a camera or some sort of surveillance device in it they don't even know where he was assassinated the family no remains no nothing all this they're saying well, it was in Kinshasa, uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. That's where the rumble in the jungle was. Not very long after the assassination. Muhammad Ali, uh, George Foreman. Think within probably within less than a decade or so after all of that. Now, even that racist might have been happy about like, hey, that way we don't have that as the memory for this part of the world. People will not think immediately Kinshasa and the Congo, they will not think, oh my god assassinated Patrice Lumumba I mean, oh yes, the rumble in the jungle Ali Bumaye yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's see last thing uh, get in or go ahead and get to the folks who dialed um, I was going to say something about the gun. Oh, the court. I will say something about the one clip we did not play, and then the rest I can do later. Uh, I played about the Supreme Court's uh, decision on the concealed carry in New York, which I thought was very important. The abortion component, they've been talking about this for a month, so I mean, are we supposed to be surprised? They already had the so-called leak. At any rate, what I did think was significant around all of that, we talked about this, Dr. Welsing, again, talked about all of that and said, got to have those white babies. We're going to be doing more to make sure that we have those white babies. You're not going to be killing them off before they can, you know, take on, become the next generation of race soldier Uh, with Justice Clarence Thomas Cowbell. uh, They had a number of reports uh, talking about him writing the concurring opinion I've seen this pattern long enough I'm just calling all of that racial showcasing he is not the chief justice on the bench he is certainly not in charge blackmail privilege notwithstanding they did this in 2013 when they had gay rights Justice Thomas gave the dissenting opinion even though it passed and people were upset no counting the 
Kevin, calling him uh, Uncle Tom and a blackface buffoon. George Takai, even. He's a non-white person. Called him a blackface uh, buffoon and all this uh, name-calling and anti-blackness. As though Clarence Thomas is in charge. Really, as though Clarence Thomas is not subject to white supremacy racism. He's in charge of the bench. Everybody had to come on and behave. Vote like him or they're going to get in trouble. Come on now. Did the same thing this time around. Presented it as though Chief Justice Thomas. He's not the Chief Justice. Chief Justice Thomas. He came in here and made everybody do this. And they're going to sign on. Get rid of this Roe v. Wade. You're going to agree with Justice Thomas. We're going to get this done today. Put him out there as yes. Justice Thomas. So people can focus their ire at the black person that is standard operating procedure racial showcasing gotta keep making it seem that non-white people are in charge so you can get upset with them about these decisions uh let's see i'll pause there we can get to the folks who dialed in man oh man so this is the second time uh i mentioned minister malcolm last week and the metaphors last week played from his documentary make it plain uh we were talking about uh the sun coming oh it was the house metaphor it was it it was the house and if white people are not gonna you know behave correctly then their house should burn down and all that and i said i don't know uh what all of that means this time around he was talking about patrice lumumba and he's the chickens uh coming home to roost now that metaphor yee got in trouble later on a few years later for the same metaphor uh really same circumstances assassination of a uh, head of state so-called and same metaphor got invoked did not have the same effect next time around uh and he used a lot of metaphors he did it all the time that was part of uh, the way that he presented that's the way that many of us present about racism white supremacy and again it is not specific it is not exact uh he in addition to the chickens coming home to roost again i don't what does that mean exactly especially in the context of patrice lumumba being assassinated what does that mean then he came back from that and said the shoe being on the the other foot now again what does that mean in the context of the congo 1960s what does that mean I don't ever remember that. He would have to explain it to me. And that generally is the way I end up thinking when I hear non-white people, even if it's not Minister Malcolm X, using metaphors to explain what they are thinking, their views on racism, the cows, period. It's not just compensatory call in for none of the programs. Do not call in sharing metaphors. Be exact, specific with what you are trying to say and stop and think this is not those other programs I'm not interested in you dialing in if you haven't thought especially if you've not been paying attention I don't even want to hear what you have to say at minimum stop and think about what you are trying to articulate because words are very important with racism race soldiers what are their main weapons most of the time they do not have a barrel of acid to dissolve your body not saying that they can't do that just most of the time that's not what it's going to be most of the time it's going to be deception incorrect use of words 
deceptive use of words. Victims of white supremacy, we are still learning, principally we are still learning the value of words. One of your best defenses against someone who is attempting to lie to you, be tricky with words, be accurate with your use of words, be as precise, specific as you can. We'll definitely prompt about the metaphors and as said before, hey, I reserve the right to mute and or just interrupt you immediately. We should be much better about that and not just call into ramble and talk nonsense. Be specific and precise. The number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If you know you are in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, that would be great. Just to make sure we don't have a lot of unnecessary background noise. Much obliged. If you could take about five minutes to share your thoughts, observations, that would be great as well. Just to make sure everybody gets at least one chance to share. Much obliged. Let's see. Uh, now some of the folks who dialed in with commentary to share. Let's see. Hello, Mandy Harris. Greetings, Irie in Louisiana. Hotel Gus and um, to everybody on the line. I'm sorry if I sound a little nasally or whatever. I'm, something got on my nerves. I just sound weird <laughs> when things get on my nerves. But um, before the show, not the show. I wanted to share this with you specifically, Gus. Um, when I go work out, uh, I'll sit in the sauna and right now, well, I read when I'm in the sauna and I'm finishing the teachings of Buddha. And I read this on uh, page 226. And I wanted to share it with you because it confirms what you said about we don't have a community. So um, Buddha said, or it's reported that he said, a true true community has faith and wisdom that illuminate it. It is a place where the people know and trust one another and where there is social harmony. In fact, harmony is the life and real meaning of a true community or an organization. So with that said, I have been totally convinced we do not have a black community. There is no such thing yet. Um, I do pray. I'm not going to linger on the cannabis thing too much, but if it comes up, I've made a point to speak on it. I do pray that people take this seriously, even if they're adults, because I have a friend that helped me do some real estate stuff two years ago and his aunt who was an adult when she got given some cannabis that was laced with formaldehyde. Um, he's having issues finding a good adult um, care facility for her and they have to relocate her to Georgia 
because it's too much for him and his real estate career and his wife and everyone in his family has left her care to him. And again, she was a grown woman in her 30s and 40s and she, she smoked weed and she was in schizophrenic deficit. And she has a tendency of walking off or walking out of the care facility. And, um, like just, I don't know what to call it, like, um, just prompting people for sexual relations. I don't know how schizophrenia makes a person want to do that, but that's what happens. So it's definitely people with their brain not developed, and it's people with their brain developed because you don't know what you're smoking. And where we are, you know, at war, and one of the main warfare or mechanisms of warfare is chemical. And as we see, it's also biological, things that affect the body. Um, and they're practicing deceit by making it look like it's just coincidental. Um, so it reaffirms what you just said about racist practicing it with deceit at first. Um, okay, what else was there? Uh, so I wanted to ask this question for a uh, victim of racism, the ultimate victim of racism. Um, she, her son passed away because he was shot by police because his girlfriend felt unsafe. She was driving a vehicle. She pulled off. They gave chase. They shot into the car. She crashed the car. I don't know if they shot after they crashed, but she was shot in the torso. The young man was also shot. He perished. Um, today, she reported that um, the district attorney said that he would make an announcement in regard to charges, and he did not keep his word. So she was basically implying that she wanted something to be done. And one of the people, um, if this is in a group chat, said, well, we're going to have to protest, maybe even riot. And I'll be honest, I don't know if this was right or wrong. BGQ for sure. I said I will not co-sign protesting or riot because my white black people are going to get hurt and do not have the money to get bailed out, let alone money for an attorney if they do get bailed out. So I'm asking you and the audience if you have a codified, constructive way. Maybe I missed it in the book, um, the compensatory code on something we can do to constructively respond to um, the non-announcement of of any action, any corrective, uh, you know, um, action on the part of the attorney. Um, yeah, that, that was really all I wanted to say. But uh, thanks for hearing me out, and I will catch you on the next one. Much obliged, Irie in Louisiana. I uh, hope you are doing better. Um, we speak next. Uh, again, get lots of rest for everybody, but especially if it's been challenging you've been dealing with lots of mistreatment or relatives your offspring anything of that nature uh try as best you can uh to replenish uh she's going to the sauna 
get that rest, drink your water. Um, in terms of and my condolences uh, to the families and wow, um, that is why there should be some urgency for us to solve this problem because those sorts of, I said terrorism at the very beginning, all of it, that's what it is, terrorism. They didn't shoot Peyton Gendron. Um, my condolences to the family, families, plural. Um, but I think you did the correct thing in terms of the response. The person saying that, uh, we're going to have to protest, uh, or riot, you know, VGQ, you know, they certainly can respond however they want to. Um, I think we've seen, or maybe we haven't, I have seen enough examples over a very long period of time. Any of these type of situations happen. Uh, I have seen what happens when you riot. Does that change anything? Did they indict anybody? Does anybody go to jail? Do they get a longer sentence? Nothing. I have never seen where any sort of protest, riot, anything of that nature, where that benefits black people in any way, just as she said, generally it causes us more problems. And that's everywhere. Whether it's, as she said, as whether that's black people being arrested, killed, and or just having the National Guard increased police presence in areas where we are warehoused where they make us stay none of that is helping us solve any problems getting us closer to white supremacy racism and I mean that wasn't even the goal the goal of all that was just supposed to I guess be for charges or to get the officers or what have you or you know what get them fired whatever they wanted to happen to them so I just haven't seen where that happens uh, in terms of additional things to do I'm not aware of anything to do I've never seen anything uh, I guess that's why some of the folks, you know, do the rioting, take the, the first two responses, because I'm not aware of anything that can be done. Um, I think Mr. Fuller, I uh, said for many years, and I've uh, agreed, unfortunately, in this system of white supremacy racism, you have Norm Stamper, one of these race soldiers. I just picked him because he's been a guest on the program, 30 years, police officer, former chief of the Seattle Police Department. Yeah, one of the, and he bragged about getting his nigger knocker and going out there and take it to these niggers wrote that in the book and everything they go out and kill they killed me today I don't know that there's anything that can be done about that like that's sad that's rough I mean I guess we could protest we could you know go to Gus's favorite beach and protest you know put some signs up and all that we could march downtown through uh, Seattle but I just haven't seen where that changes any minds uh, what have you if they don't want the protest they know how to shut that down too so I don't think there's anything that can be done. Uh, you just try as best you can for it not to be you. I think that's at least why I think Mr. Fuller, other people, when they do uh, suggestions, it's things to try to to intercept before he gets to that point. That's why he's you know all about the don't flee and just comply and all of that because you know once once it starts, that's about what you can expect. That's what I've heard him tell people before. I've said that myself. Like, hey, I mean, you can comply everything correct system of terrorism they'll kill you anyway so yeah if you like she, she got scared might be a young person and all that I can certainly understand but yeah I don't think uh, I'm not aware of anything unless you know some listeners 
know, something that I do not have a, a suggestion or a strategy or what have you that I just haven't thought of, but the the boycotts and all of that I've just not seen in terms of a police officer getting them charged, fired, reprimanded. None of that. I have not seen any of that. They seem to have a very effective code for dealing with whatever happens because of that. If you want to riot, protest, boycott, all of the above, Al Sharpton wants to get got all of that figured out. We've had it figured out for a good 50 years. Uh, if I'm wrong, uh, listeners, feel please dial in and uh, let Irene know if you have some tips that you think might help. The number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If folks have any suggestions, strategies that they think uh, might be helpful for uh, Irie. Incidentally, uh, I, I mean, this is not helpful because this is another one that is kind of before the fact. Most of the ones that are after the fact is generally it's just not a whole lot that you can do. Uh, that's why we all want to try and work as hard as we can to get this problem solved immediately today if we can. Um, I don't have offspring. It would be a constant like some things they would just you know you just have to nag them they would just have to oh god they were talking about me like Gus oh my god nags us all the time about this oh, I can't stand it the, this would be one of the nag things like they would hear about this on a regular basis uh, going out in a vehicle this is for anybody but especially for young people because their brain computer is still developing right so they're not making they don't always make the best decisions and all the rest of that I mean you expect it that's biology that's why they're that's why the law is reflected like that young people aren't punished the same well generally that's the case you know it's the black people are uh but I would be talking to them all the time Dr. Kanban he talked about for young people big ones in terms of being out at night because that's when so many of these incidents happen they assume you're out at nighttime you got to be out to snorting crack and selling crack and all the rest of it we would have to have serious and regular talks. Not saying that Ivory didn't, but just for everybody. Man, being out, having uh, children, you're in the vehicle, if you're going to be with your friends, and I mean everything. What to do, what not to do. Go ahead and call and put me on speakerphone, especially if they're underage. Like, woo, it would be an extensive conversation and I would probably want to what they call it role play you have them in the vehicle and if you have uh, if you have siblings you know grab one of their uncles you know or aunts whatever grab them and go through some scenarios where the police you know pull them over so that they can get an opportunity where it's not life and death but you can take some reps this is what you say this is what you don't say this is what you do this is what you don't do. If they come up and they're being racist, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. Have your phone, boom, boom, boom. All of that going over as much as possible to try as best you can to minimize. Young people, that's what they're known for, not making the best decisions. That's supposed to be a part of being young. You don't get that in the system of white supremacy. And it's, it's summertime. July 4th is coming up. We just had so-called Juneteenth. 
And I guess for a lot of folks, we had two years, right? Where you didn't get to, we didn't really get to do a whole lot. You had to sit around and all that. So you might have a whole lot of folks, young and old, who I am getting out of here. I'm fitting to cut a fool until October or whatever. Man, talk to them as best you can. You do not want a whole lot of these type of incidents. Uh, even if it hadn't been shots fired, even, you know, just been an arrest or anything like that. Like, oof. Let's try to minimize as much of that as we can. It's summertime. I know everybody wants to have a grand old time and you haven't been eating Funyuns and Cheetos. So you want to go out and look cute and everything, the bathing suit and all that stuff. That's great. We are still on the plantation. Everybody talk, talk to your if you have offspring or younger people and even older people, because I saw a lot of old people at the beach today too. talk to everybody make sure no fussing no fleeing no fighting comply if you get stopped and even if you did something wrong that's definitely not the time to you know flee and all that stuff i mean hey survive to get through another day summer is coming we do not want it to be what they call a long hot summer with lots of tragedies like what we just heard Uh, let's see if folks have if we have suggestions if folks have things they would recommend I retry or if you have your own thoughts other folks who dialed in hello guys this is uh, karma can you hear me greetings karma the great state of Texas right next door to Louisiana <laughs> I know I know everything's so really awful here um but um i when i have the young one the young one we do do the role play that that's very good he learned very well but unlike uh miss friedman i also do the role play since i'm pretty public with my mom and you know in our role play i i told her i say try to Tell them you have arthritis in your shoulder and try to get them to put the handcuffs in the front if they come for you. Don't panic about your medication. They're all long-term. You can go two days without them, and uh, it should be okay. You won't be in there two days. I'll get you out before then. Also, they can infiltrate your water system, so if you do have to drink water, then try to drink from the faucet instead of the bottles they give you. So I go over those scenarios since I am kind of political with the different generations for the things that are most appropriate to them. All right. Second for, uh, for uh, as far as the medical thing. Oh, I, I, I wanted to, you know, with, what I have been doing lately is uh, being very nice and very kind and severe and very sweet and realizing that these people don't deserve my truth. And I've noticed after there is some kind of war or contretemps of any kind, when white people finish pummeling one another, that is an opportunity there for us to make some changes while they try to regroup. Right. So I usually encourage them to go at one another. Whatever I hear one saying about the other, I always communicate it and tell them that's not really fair. Now, is it? So I try to get gin that up as much as I can because I'm prepared for once they go at each other um, and they finish pummeling one another, that will be an opportunity. It traditionally has been for black people to make some forward strides. 
So do that instead of participating directly in the protest. The other thing is is that um, there's been, I mean, I was there when we read Harriet Washington's book on medical apartheid. And it, it, I just remember Johns Hopkins coming up, Johns Hopkins coming up so much. And I was listening to the president of the HBCU, the local HBCU today, and she was very, very pleased with the fact that the HBCU would be partner, partnering with Johns Hopkins. And uh, during the presentation, everyone seemed to be quite impressed. But if you don't give people the, the movement and the movement of memory, they keep repeating the same mistake. Johns Hopkins was the first research university in the United States. They're situated in the area that that was a hub of slave pens, slave jails, whatever they call them. Boston is still, Baltimore is still like 40, 50% black people. They did so many experiments on black people right now. They want to act like, you know, oh, we just really want to do things correctly. But they set the standard for the mistreatment of black people in medicine. They really did. They were first and they were the standard. So I, I think that she should, the president should let the university know, okay, we're getting ready to go in here with people who have a real history of mistreating black people when it comes to research. And they're offering us those research grants. And I, I don't say that you shouldn't take those, but the, going in, black people need to know what they're who they're dealing with, what the history is. I mean, so that they can stay in charge of their own destiny to some small, to some small extent. They can at least see it coming when it comes. You know, when they, when they, when they, the, 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 when they, oh, I'm not supposed to use metaphors, so I'm under the bus. Uh, when they revert to type. So, anyway, I, I wish the university president would would make the HBCU clear on what Johns Hopkins is and has been. The last thing is, I think I, I remember Dr. Dr. Uh, Wasing talking about, um, talking about the drugs. And I know I had something to say, and I want to see if I've grown in the last nine years. So please let us know when you plan on having that episode re-air so that I can see if I said anything stupid or maybe something a little bit prescient. And, and what time is the show on Monday? That's it. Uh, Monday, that is Dr. Frank E. Dobson, rendered invisible, uh, much obliged karma, great state of Texas. Uh, Dr. Frank E. Dobson should be here Monday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, let me see, 7 p.m. Central, folks in Texas, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, the replay with Dr. Welsing. Some of that is contingent. This is, I mean, I could, we could just play that, right? Uh, Tuesday, the day after Dr. We could just do it then, but some of this is uh, there is a guest, as I said, a white woman. She's a doctor. Uh, she has been saying the same thing Dr. Welsing said. There's a correlation between cannabis consumption and psychosis, and people should be warned about this, especially young people. That is a big part of it. Same thing Dr. Welsing said. So uh, I've been talking with her. If we can get her on the program, then I would, my, uh, my vision is to coordinate it so that when she comes to the program, we can chat it up with her and then we can have the rebroadcast subsequently. So if she's with us for the full two hours, we can have her on like uh, just I'm just saying, for example, like Tuesday and then we can do the replay on Wednesday, something like that. So as soon as I get a firm date for our white guest, 
bang, then I'll let us know about the replay so that we can all hear. Like, hey, maybe everyone will say, man, I have learned so much. That's what I thought way back in 2013. And now, boop, here we are. I have totally changed my view. That does happen sometimes, but ooh-wee, there was robust participation to say, Dr. Welsing does not know what she is talking about. Man, where did she come from? They were, I even thought they were about to get on some pseudoscientific BS. Like, what is she doing in here talking about black people don't need to be doing cannabis? And Dr. Welsing never even smoked a joint. I bet Dr. Welsing hadn't even been around black people. For real, for real. People even said that. Were like, man... I called Dr. Welsing afterwards. She cracked up laughing like, for real, for real, Gus. <laughs> and they said, I haven't been around black people. Like, what? What? Even for real, what did she say when I told her? She said, I grew up in Chicago. Like, I've been in D.C. for the past time. Like, what do you mean I haven't been around black <sighs> Anyway, wait till we get the rebroadcast. My goodness. Let's see. Number again, 720 720- Seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see other folks who dialed in with a hand up. If you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Greetings, everyone. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. I uh, vividly recall uh, the 2013 uh, broadcast. Uh, I think I uh, participated uh, with the broadcast. And uh, yes, uh, Dr. Welsing, all of her uh, appearances on the cows, uh, it was most productive, in my opinion. And uh, very, uh, I, I still listen to some of some of the uh, past broadcasts of her specifically when she was on the cows because she, uh, uh, in a most constructive way, gave a lot of her time and energy on those programs. Uh, yes, uh, today DCS program. Uh, the uh, I used uh, the uh, fifty minute, about a fifty five minute clip on the Eyes on the Prize series uh, to talk about voting rights. Being that Mr. Clark, who is the founder of the of the program, uh, is is vying for a uh, commissioner seat in Miami-Dade County. Uh, and uh, the spot on the Eyes on the Prize series about voting rights was uh, around the uh, uh, the march from uh, uh, Selma to Montgomery and uh, the history behind it. Uh, there were, as far as the way the way the, the program was the, the interview was designed, they uh basically interviewed they, they showed real film clips of the actions that was taking place in nineteen sixty five, I believe, and then they interviewed some of the people who were actually involved. 
uh, and uh, I I would stop it and ask the the the, uh, the boys for uh, do you see a lesson in this particular clip they just saw, and uh, you know things like that to get them to talk and understand and make sure that they. I, I made it my business to make sure they understood on what they were looking at. Matter of fact, in the in the in the clip, uh, two of the people who were interviewed were actually ages eight and nine years old that participated in that that effort as children. Uh, so that was that gave me the opportunity to emphasize to the elementary school boys who's in the program that yes you should know about this enough to to have an interest or participate in some way shape or form because here's two examples right here uh uh that were interviewed uh for the for for that particular historical uh uh action event that was taking place uh you have a you had a situation to whereas uh, non-white black people were attempting to exercise their constitutional rights, and but they were they were uh, challenged by people who are sworn to serve and protect them, quote unquote law enforcement, which really were race soldiers. Uh, that was actually stopping them from registering to vote, registering to vote, uh, and uh, also it even goes down to the governor of the state of Alabama uh, that uh, basically uh, ordered law enforcement to stop the black people in the state of Alabama to act out their constitutional rights to assemble and uh, legally protest against the wrongs that they felt that they were uh, victims of. Uh, the federal government, what is called the federal government, the president of the United States had to federalize, <laughs> federalize uh, law enforcement in the state of Alabama just so black people can walk from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama uh, for that purpose. And that's basically what uh, I did today. And uh, I think I got a, I think they were paying attention. I think they were paying attention pretty good based on the answers they was given to some of my questions. And uh, the day went pretty well. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. What what was what was the suggestions about for Miss Miss Irie? The enforcement or I guess prosecuting attorney, a prosecuting attorney, uh, they race soldiers killed two young black people, shot and killed two young black people, and 
they, I guess initially there was going to be, hey, maybe we'll prosecute these officers, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, she said the prosecuting attorney did not keep his word. Uh, and so they've not had a prosecution. And some people were, I guess, talking about protesting or rioting uh, to respond to all of this. And so she was asking for suggestions, uh, what to do when you've had some sort of police murder, police shooting, and they do not prosecute, which is generally the case. Well, what I, what I make sure every time I'm in the presence of those young people, I, I no matter what their ages are, I, I, I make sure I emphasize to them individually to have a code. Even, even those, those eight-year-olds that's in this program, they, I, I, I mention them on, I give them a suggestion on what they can have as a list of what they can be responsible for, uh, you know, in an emergency, emergency situation, which is actually a code. So that can be, that can be uh, uh, created for people on what to do on just about any and every situation. And uh, that's primarily on what I think that, non-white people especially non-white black black people lack is a a uh pre uh uh understood code of what i would do if i'm confronted with this type of situation or that type of situation and now we have seen these problems occur over and over again enough so we can be ahead of those of us now can be ahead of a lot of the mistakes that was made in 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 the past to, you know, so, so we won't be just keep repeating, repeating and suffering from the, the uh, mistakes that are made on our part. Uh, you know, so just, you know, for whoever has contact with those people, the, you know, share with them suggestions on uh, a code, which is a basically a way of saying, things in the best way you possibly can and doing things in the best way you can. I, I'm not, I'm per, on purpose not making it a particular subject, but because it certainly would fit on what you were, were you, you, you uh, told me about, you know, make it fit, make it fit for that particular situation. Hopefully I made some, some understanding on that. That's it. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. That does make sense. Um, and again, it seems, that's what I said. It didn't seem like we've heard anyone, at least so far, where they've had uh, suggestions for things that can be done uh, kind of after the fact. Uh, it's seeming like most of the folks are saying, saying sharing information uh, in terms of things that they share with young folks when they have an opportunity so that they can make better decisions. Uh, after the fact, it doesn't seem like, just doesn't seem like we have too many options. Generally speaking, race soldiers generally, they can handle things very well. Once the non-white person has been killed by a race soldier, what have you, they go and, uh, find any sort of misdeeds that you might've done, even if they're not criminal. I, you know, he stole a graham cracker when he was five and all that. So, you know, he's been a thief from day one, that type of thing. Uh, so just try to 
have to do the best that we can before we get to that sort of situation. And then after the fact, like I said, hey, just expect it's going to be all sorts of terrorism. They're not going to punish anybody. If anything, the white person might get a promotion and a raise. Uh, let's see. Uh, number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, I checked the book, Linda Villarosa, uh, her book, that was why she was on the program that chatted up. It's Under the Skin, Racism, Inequality, and the Health of a Nation. I just checked to see if there was anything in it. Like I said, white guests only, not interested in uh, reading or checking it out. It was just uh, after uh, Karma's commentary uh, about medical apartheid, which I love so much, and uh, Johns Hopkins. I was just checking to see, like, does she mention medical apartheid in this book, or John Hopkins? Like, I just wanted to see what the table of contents uh, and all that was and uh, medical apartheid is not referenced in this book so then I went to see if John Hopkins is in John Hopkins is referenced but it's really only referenced for Henrietta Lacks we read about her uh, in the book or uh, read about her in the book club as well uh, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks Rebecca Skloot white woman uh, 2014 we read that one uh, but yeah she doesn't really have uh, a whole lot the straightforward information that karma had about John Hopkins. And this has been our whole history, white culture uh, of terrorizing, experimenting uh, on black people uh, for the benefit of white people, ultimately not you niggers who are going to suffer with all of this. I don't think that that is stated clearly in the book, although I've not read it. I'm just checking it out. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's some constructive info in it, but it does not look like a medical apartheid few books are under the skin Linda Villarosa sorry the hidden toll of racism on American lives and on that even that the hidden toll of racism on American lives that makes it seems like the toll is being paid on white lives too and that is not true it was the hidden toll of racism on black lives hey I'd be feeling a little bit more but this makes it seem like oh everybody endures a cost because of racism in the health system and that's not true she would have to have some extraordinary evidence to show me that I haven't seen that at all but I've seen even in fact I would be curious if she's got the that new study is so new it's probably not in here where they talked about how white people once they started seeing that hey this COVID thing is having a, what they call a disproportionate impact on black people eh, I'm good I don't want to wear masks I don't want to take a vaccine, some kind of nigra disease anyway. I'm good. It doesn't impact white people. They had a whole study saying that that was widespread. They'll sit up and talk about they don't want to make generalizations. That was what the data in the study said. Man, white people aren't even taking this serious anymore once they come and think of this as some nigra disease. I'm not wearing a mask and doing all this distancing and stuff. I'm going to Disneyland right now. High five everybody. Except the nigras, of course. They can't afford to get in. Small world. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, caller in Florida, others, if you have commentary to share, uh, line should be open. Again, if we have any folks who have uh, suggestions uh, for Irie uh, about how to respond to police terrorism and specifically they're not going to indict, which they normally don't, 
uh, race soldiers who have terrorized, even killed uh, black people. Do you have any suggestions uh, for how to deal with that other than riot and protest? That was about uh, all we heard and no ringing endorsements uh, from cows listeners for rioting or protesting. Uh, Other folks have commentary that they want to make sure they get in. Well, I have a brief suggestion. I mean, a small suggestion. Is that okay? Less here, karma, small suggestion. Okay. All right. There was a young man who was terrorized, and he, you know, he went to jail. They just, you know, picked him up for no reason. I think it was some administrative mistake. And you know, I got wind of the jail, and I did a little research, found out everything they were doing wrong in the jail talked about the young man, how he was being mistreated, and I went to commissioner's court. So I don't know if that's how they do that in that state, but there is a court that runs your your uh, county or your parish or whatever. All of those are taped. And I went and I got in front of the camera and I said everything that they were doing wrong, that the sheriff was doing wrong in the jail, that the, the deputy was doing wrong in the jail, and that this young man was being mistreated. And and actually got out, and uh, they they didn't apologize, but they did demote the deputy who arrested him. They gave him a full-time job with the county. He has benefits, vacation, all that other stuff. And I, I have noticed that when you go and find whatever camera you can, and you just start just pummeling with them a thousand things that they did wrong, in addition to the, 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 the DA not prosecuting, but a thousand other things that he did wrong, just overkill, and just go from camera to camera, go to the school board meeting, go to the school board meeting <laughs> and start talking about it there, just go wherever they are and start talking about it, and um, I, I think that'll help. Karma says, get in front of the camera uh, and report. Get Go as often as possible. Get in front of the camera and just make a uh, register or report, rather, of uh, all of the misdeeds, not prosecuting everything incorrect that was done, and uh, see if that can help generate more attention. I would take that over riot, uh, seeing if you can make a report and go to as many uh, outlets if they have the, I know some of the local uh, I know in Louisiana they would have yeah New Orleans they should have uh, major television networks sometimes they'll do like investigative series uh, or what have you where if you can speak to them where they might be able to pick it up as a local story and investigate get more detail they might even be able to get more evidence and what have you from the police department than you right uh, or other family members who are concerned that might be something to get more information at least so that more people know about it uh, to be upset about it that type of thing uh, let's see. Other folks uh, who dialed in. If you had commentary to share. Folks satisfied? Yeah, we heard. Oh, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to best the host, the listeners and callers. Um, I can't think of any kind of uh, 
anything that I could contribute to Miss Irie's uh, uh, situation. Um, but I had some observations that I'd like to share. Uh, the first is, I think that we're talking about the, was it the, uh, the Airbnb and how they were discussing about using a flashlight. I think that was maybe a white person, possibly. Uh, it seemed like that he didn't want to have that discussion, in my opinion, with the, uh, that may have been a victim he was talking to. But I did find that to be constructive. I didn't really think about that as using a flashlight to discover if there are any hidden cameras or, you know, the blinking red light. Uh, and the next is how I've been noticing as well that they, it looks like the news reports are using, uh, Clarence Thomas's, um, image to say that other things could happen in the future. And I think there was, I think there was a, a segment where they were talking about firearms. Um, and the protests I was thinking about as well, like we could start getting calls on a job um, and protests out front. They had a lot of protests today downtown and you know, uh, it'll be something to think about that could be occurring in the near future. And I noticed that I think the term illumination, I think, or bright was used when it came to talking about the the racism that's occurring toward victims uh, in the hospitals. Because with the amputation, like that, like that happened to my dad, like how they, I don't even think, I mean, of course, you know, black person in the system of white supremacy mistreated definitely uh and i think they could have saved him but you know that's the system of white supremacy um yeah that reminded me of that the amputation uh and i had a story or there was a story here locally that they was talking about a firearm but they called it a toy gun where I'm thinking it was some white supremacists, but they didn't really show the, uh, the person's picture. We went to another high school of, um, I think it was in Williston, uh, raised a firearm and they showed a picture of this firearm and it does look like it would be real. But the person was saying that, oh, it fires, uh, fake pellets or something like that. And it's indistinguishable. That's the term they use. Uh, they said they were riding in a, a white Hyundai and started shooting the uh, the pellets at the the players from the the other school. But they said that it was coming from a rival school, Chiefland High School. Um, but I'm thinking that could be connected to racism. I just wanted to share that report as well. Uh, and other than that, that's pretty much all I like to say. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Did you say, uh, the caller in Florida, did you say that the segment they were talking about those uh, sneaky cameras in the vacation spots, uh, that was on NPR, uh, is a victim. Uh, the reporter was Aisha Roscoe. She's a black female. Uh, she was talking to uh, 
suspect is a white man. They didn't have a picture. I suspect it could have been a white guy too, just based on the voice, but that can be tricky. Did you say you, it seemed like he didn't want to talk or he didn't want to give up the information about that? How did you phrase it? Yeah, in my opinion, it just, it just seemed like he, he, he didn't even want to have that discussion. I guess it was just the way that he was responding to certain questions. I think it was when he was responding to where she asked about, is there an app, I think, to help discover these hidden cameras. And he was like, yeah, well, but it's just something I just rather, I couldn't remember like verbatim, like how he made the response, but he was responding in a way like, this is what I would rather use. I ain't really trying to talk about any kind of app. You know, they just only like to make you pay fees or something. He responded with, but that's the, that's the, um, the sense I guess I got from it when I heard it. Hmm. Now that's interesting. I, now for comparison's sake, I would have to hear uh, this. Like I said, I didn't have a, a image. So I don't know what he looks like. I can't even confirm if he is white. I'd have to see if I can do some sleuthing to track him down online and then see if I could find maybe a different interview where he's talking to somebody else to see if he's, I mean, does he have a totally different personality? Is he, you know, oh, sure. Give super excited and all the rest of it to see if there's a difference uh, in how he gave that information because I, I did think that was important not like you know Patrice Lumumba what I already talked about but I mean hey it is summertime uh, I, we have done yoga retreats uh, at Airbnb and some of the other spots so I mean that is certainly something to remember uh, if you have to go out for whatever this summer or anytime after uh maybe use that flashlight on your phone to make sure um, and I guess you could ask too because they said that uh, if they are going to have a camera that that should be disclosed and it shouldn't be like they said some bedroom that type of thing for them to be spying on you uh, to make sure that you ask same thing for hotels and such to ask in advance and then whip out that you know flashlight or what have you so you can scan the room make sure that they haven't lied to you and all the rest, but I am very sure that that has probably gotten very popular uh, for a number of reasons, just being in the system of white supremacy and then there's so much uh, craziness uh, right now with COVID-19 and everybody, uh, everything else that it would not surprise me at all. Like, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll have to sleuth and see if he was, this is a white person and if he may have been practicing racism and not wanting to share constructive details with Aisha Roscoe, victim of racism, but We'll sleuth and see if we can find more details with that. Um, the whole pellet uh, gun incident, or I don't know what type of gun it was, or whatever they were doing to shoot teams down there. Um, I am, I don't know if this sounded like that might have been a high school sporting event. If it was, uh, I can only say again, uh, I would not have my child in any of those uh, athletic sporting events or what have you. It's very unlikely your child is going to be Stephen Curry. Kevin Durant very very unlikely just have your child out there to be shot at with a pellet gun and called a nigger and everything else no thank you now they want to do all that talking about gun control this and gun control that and you got little white urchins running around with a pet now Tamir Rice on that one even Jonathan Crawford running around shooting people with a pellet gun like come on come on 
If you don't have anything else to do in the middle of all of this, that's what I got to do with my free time. Just got out of school a couple of days ago, and I'm ready to get my pellet gun and pow, bust a cap on other children as well. Like, system of white supremacy. Uh, now, we have to see. Maybe we can find out. Maybe it was a non-white person who was doing this. Have to see. Getting a Peyton Gendron. Getting a firearm at a young age. Get to go out and do some terrorizing. Much obliged, uh, caller in Florida. Uh, number again: seven two zero seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Again, and we should be here Monday. Doctor Frank E. Dobson, his book "Rendered Invisible," which is all about the slaughter of the uh, nineteen eighty. Uh, killings of black males in Buffalo uh, will relate that incident to what happened uh, last month uh, discuss some of the history of white supremacy racism in Buffalo his book uh, all of that good stuff uh, this coming Monday hopefully this will be the only time we have a non-white person as a guest on the program for the rest of the year The two t- in fact the only two times this year we tried to have a non-white guest on the program Three times. I think three times we had a non-white guest. Is it four times? Four times. Aya Gruber, she has a white parent. Dr. Gerald Horn, he's been with us before. The other two times, they didn't even show up. I think that's our four attempts for the year. Two of them showed up. Two of them did not. And one of those four had a white parent. Not good numbers, in my opinion, for white guests over the year. We'll see if we can do better for Monday and then just get back to the problem white guests only uh, but looking forward to Monday uh, and as well the book club man uh, you can feel free we're closing on the halfway point I think we should be around there by this uh, Thursday with Catherine Palinero's absolute madness uh, hopefully uh, learning about all of this uh, has been instructive with regards to why those events unfolded last month why they only have the one grocery store there to begin with, why these events keep happening, and even why is it that nobody knows about this? How did everybody forget? Never heard of it? How did this not get brought up again last month? Hopefully, as we move through the book, we have great answers, or much better answers to those questions. But mandatory, I have learned a lot and I'm looking forward looking forward for Monday. Talk about some of this there, and then continue with the book this Thursday. Absolute Madness, Catherine Palinero. We haven't even got to the part of that book talking about Absolute Madness where they get into was this white killer Christopher, Joseph G. Christopher, was he exchanging fellatio on black soldiers for extra food? We haven't even got to that part of the book yet. Delectable Negro again. Any other comments folks need to get in before we wrap up for this weekend? Uh, is it uh, Nancy? Irie in Louisiana? Yes, ma'am. 
I wanted to thank everybody for their suggestions and, and even the people who didn't know what to say because, like I said, I, I don't know what to suggest. I just know, um, you know, the first option presented wasn't correct. Um, and I want to share, there's a victim of racism on YouTube. He has a channel called We the People. And he has an ebook that you can download for free with some basic information on what to do for a police stop. And I do believe it's intended for all ages. And I did download that and implement it in a class that I uh, I taught about. Are you ready to go to college for if they're stopped by the police? And I'm going to run it past the mom and see if maybe she'll agree with that, some type of uh educational qualification in honor of her son, but at the same time, like right after her son died, there I saw a video of a party um, that they had and everybody was drinking and smoking. And I'm not sure she'll go for it because they seem to escape into vice, uh, you know, for their problems and stuff. So, which is why I'm not surprised riot and... <laughs> I'm not surprised that word came up. But thank you. Thank you very much. I um catch y'all next time. Good night, everybody. Good night, girl. Sobriety would be best. Man, they said that uh the New Haven situation, I believe they said that as well. I played that in the clips where they had the black male uh, he was in the, I guess, police van or whatever they called this transport system. And seems they didn't have proper mechanisms to secure the passengers and everyone. He ended up striking his head, being injured and all this. Oh, man, can't believe it. All this. <sighs> Sobriety. All of that started. They said he was under the influence. And he had a firearm, too, which he wasn't supposed to have, but so many things alcohol factors in there some kind of way uh, some of white people's narcotics and poisons sobriety would be best and certainly if you gotta consume any of that you I mean have a code I'm not gonna be out running all over town being loud and rowdy even the people that if you got to do all that who am I going to be around exactly are we going to be at a bar with a lot of rowdy white people or even a lot of rowdy non-white people am I going to be at someone's house that I never met before they might bring some random white people over or random non-white people like think about as much and young people again are notorious for not being the best thinkers might be good to remind them about a few of these points especially over the summertime and maybe repeatedly in route to what they call Independence Day I think that's sometime next weekend maybe the early part uh, of the week after next as they say but yes if they're going to be engaged in any of that remind them repeatedly racism white supremacy yes the root of our troubles but alcohol routinely factors into our tragedies and demises under this system uh, anything else folks need to get in before we wrap 
Yes, sir. Uh, Gus, uh, just off of your latest articulation, it reminded me of a particular case that uh, somewhat went viral. Uh, Young black male that was actually speeding uh, with a quote-unquote white friend in in a cul-de-sac that is populated by white people. Uh, they managed to get him to stop and, uh, two white male residents, uh, basically confronted him and, uh, threw, uh, rocks through the window of, of the vehicle that he was riding in. Uh, I don't, I, I think the, what the, the, the white young person, white male, uh, that he stated was his best friend somehow uh, just disappeared. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but I thought it was I thought it was interesting uh, uh, from the standpoint of and this is it would be a good example to any uh, black child to give an example. Number one, uh, uh, there is no such thing as a white friend. When it comes down to it, it should be some suspicion of a white person that wants to be around you in the first place. And uh, number two, the idea of speeding around or doing anything that can be dangerous, uh, especially in the presence of white people, is not something that you want to make a choice to do at any point in time. And uh, that's all I have to say to that. Thank you. It could be a good teaching method to uh, younger black people of that particular example. That's it. Right on. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, Any other folks, anything else they need to get in before we wrap things up? Gus, may I be heard? Caller in Florida? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just just one quick thing. I was thinking about the um the segment about the 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 two black victims uh in Georgia and the election uh fraud scenario and everything like that. Did you hear where that was I believe Rudy Giuliani and I think he made like a um like a comparison. He he said something like a assembly like I don't know if it was with the USB, he made a comment about passing the USB. Did you see a report where he made a mention about something like they passed something like heroin or something like that? He said heroin or cocaine? Did did you hear anything like that? Cuz I I, I could have remember Hearing that on a news report, did you hear that as well? I'm not sure if I heard it in the segment that I played, although I'm looking at, because I definitely remember that Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York City, uh, I remember him said, yep, looked like they passed the USB drive right there. She said it was a ginger mint that they passed, not all of that. I'm trying, I'm looking at the transcript now to make sure that 
you say anything? Yeah, I didn't see it in the Democracy Now report, although it would not surprise me at all. Like you said, you saw a different report where he seemed to suggest that they were passing drugs or something. Yes, sir. It, it was on the um, the, the ABC or the World News report where they were mentioning it. And the black female was, they showed segments where she was responding to questions. And then they played the video back of um, Rudy Giuliani making that comment and then brought in talking about heroin. I'm like, wow. But, you know, I'm not surprised, but. I just wanted to see if you had heard that that portion of it. I had not heard that part of it. However, uh, I didn't even take that much longer to look. So this is the Star uh, Tribune, Minnesota newspaper. Nowhere I feel safe. Election official recounts threats. Now, democracy now, they claim, you know, Hey, Amy Good, my BFF Amy Goodman and them, they claim we are all down and blah, blah, blah. Now, they did just take the testimony from Congress. That was, you know, from the House Committee this week. So it's not like that's Democracy Now interview or what have you. But they didn't include that. The Star Tribune, I'm skipping down just to get the paragraph that we're talking about. They write the barrage of threats against the two county workers mounted after Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani played surveillance footage of them counting ballots in a Georgia Senate committee hearing on December 10, 2021. Giuliani said the footage showed the women surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they are vials of heroin or cocaine. What they were actually passing, Moss told the committee, was a ginger mint. Ladies and gentlemen, I have one, two, um, I have three uh, flash drives on my person currently. Uh, They do not look like vials of narcotics. I mean, you might have a really wild imagination in your wildest of imaginations nothing about a USB drive looks like a vial of crack cocaine heroin PCP any other drugs that you can think of it's a USB drive even that sort of metaphor he could have said a whole lot of things passing around USB drive like Tic Tacs he could have said a whole lot of things no passing around USB drives like vials of heroin. The same thing I said at the hospital. That's what we started the program at. And then you tell me that that's unconscious bias and all the rest of this. How is it black people regardless of the circumstance? I come in the hospital and tell you I'm about to die from the Rona. You see me on video camera at my desk of my job with a USB file. Either way, crackhead now that right there (laughs) that's kind of you're letting me know all I need to know about what it means to be white under any circumstances 
I will never be. It's not possible for me to be anything but a crackhead. Got it. What does it mean to be white? Got it. These are the people that you tell me they have changed their ways. They're not going to do this anymore. They're going to behave. They're going to do right by you. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a 70 year old grandmother, incidentally, because it wasn't just uh, Miss Moss. He was talking about her mother, Ruby Freeman even though I stick it with that free man, free woman, her, her heart you wish, uh, but in her 70s, yeah, crackhead grandmothers, you gotta watch them. They did that in Georgia. Remember they had the woman in Georgia. We talked about that a long time ago. She was in her 80s. Police killed her and then they went and sprinkled, uh, I think they sprinkled weed or crack on her like for real, like the Dave Chappelle joke. But this really happened. Uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, I have to go back and get her name then we can wrap up. Uh, Something was it Jackson? She was in her eighties. They said she's a weed uh, dealer. Let's see. Can I find it really great? We go out of here. It's one of the first, or well, not one of the first, but it's in the first year that we uh, were on the uh, program. I think we got another grandmother. Let's see. They sprinkled weed on her after they shot the woman. Let's see. Or it might not have been cannabis. I might be remembering the drug incorrectly, but uh, let's see if I can get this one before we wrap up. Black grandmother accuse her of drugs. Let's see. Oh, I forgot the Georgia part. This is in the book. I think it's uh, Alexandra Nadapoff. Uh, her book I was just looking at her book for totally different reasons but I think she mentions that this case in her book uh, about this woman being killed uh, unjustly I have to go back and get that one and uh, I'll share it later anyway uh, much obliged for everyone tuning in hope it was worthy of your time and energy again we'll be here on Monday Frank E. Dobson will talk about his book Rendered invisible uh, he uh, is a black male we normally don't do black males I am a little bit nervous but we will try as best we can <laughs> um, hopefully to make it constructive uh, again I didn't even know that Rick James was born in Buffalo so uh, for that amongst uh, several other bits of information that I did not know um, before reading his book but we'll try to learn as much as we can uh, and let's see Oh, thought I almost kind of took too, took too long. Anyway, um, much obliged for everyone tuning in. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy, racism. Man, protect your brain computer. My goodness. Uh, in addition to being sober, uh, if you are out and about, no confrontations with strangers. If they are being rowdy, loud, hostile, shh, forget about it. Uh, unless you are ready to kill and die right now, it is always exit. You have no idea if they are armed, have an entire entourage. You are out by yourself with a thumb drive. 
you are not prepared. If you're in a vehicle, you're sober, buckled up, not on your mobile device. We're doing the small things that we can to stay as safe as possible. And we need all of our attention. That's it, creator. We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning all. Almost not quite buddy Catherine Johnston. I was not trying to let that one go. Catherine Johnston was killed in Atlanta November 21, 2006. Uh, let me see. Can I get a uh, article to go out just before we go? I'd rather get one from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta police nearly killed 80-year-old woman two months before Catherine jo- Oh, that's not even the Catherine Johnston report. Let's make sure we get the... Katherine Johnston report and then we can ride. There we go. All right. Uh, the Atlanta police confirmed what the community already suspected in the police killing of an elderly African-American woman on November 21st. At least one police officer admitted to lying about purchasing narcotics at Katherine Johnston's home, according to federal investigators. Startled and frightened when her front door was broken down, Johnston responded with gunfire. The police shot back killing Johnston in the staircase of her home. Johnston was either 88 or 92 years old. According to reports, you have a lot of older black people who do not have exact birth dates because of white supremacy racism. Uh, Previously, two police officers claimed that they had a confidential informant purchase crack. (laughs) I said we, that was my memory slip. That was my only memory slip for the day, I think, at least on this program. All the other ones not we just stick with what it always is crackhead 82 or excuse me so she's either 88 or 92 crackhead uh in the working class mostly african-american neighborhood in northwest atlanta but another officer jason r smith who was wounded during the shooting told investigators that the cops purchased getting a no-knock warrant without any evidence of drug dealing disgraceful all the way Catherine Johnston Gus T. Renegade any black person crackhead until proven otherwise now no name calling man no narcotics of any sort my god no gossiping cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim brother you're a victim I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.